No, 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 no! Ah! Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coca Talk, episode Z80. Wrapping up the Septandy. Coco Talk is rocking the 8 bit world. Keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the 8 bit world. Hello, everybody. Well, being this is the last last uh, Saturday of September, you know, we're kind of wrapping it up. Yeah, but I expect there's going to be a flurry of videos over the next week until the end of September, which is Friday. So next week we'll have more to cover. I'm pretty sure. But okay. yeah, it's the last last week of uh, new new steps of Tandy stuff. So let's see who we got on here today. Upper left hand corner, we have the news with L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, everyone, and it will be a little bit of out of order today. I've got a hard out, so we'll be doing the news first. So get your pillows ready for the nap. We're gonna have an early nap today. Next over, Rondelvo. Hello, welcome and everybody. Yours truly. Uh, next line, we have Ricky Lund. Howdy, folks. Any project update for you today? Not really. I've been working all week. I'm, okay. My cocoa work has been on Windows. So, <laughs> in the We're center sorry. of Hollywood Squares, we have Grant Leedy, who is muted and we cannot hear. <laughs> hey, how's it going, everybody? That's how Curtis likes it with my mute on. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Now you just do yeah. something about that picture part too. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, I'm the more, I'm the most I'm the beautiful guy. Well, definitely more beautiful than that thing that just came in at the bottom by David Ladd. On your manners. Next over we have Ken Waters back home at the Ponderosa. What is is news over already? I have to do game on. Oh, sorry, I was asleep. Okay. And. <laughs> Next over, Mark Overhoser. Hello there. Glad to be here. And we have a rare sighting, Brian Weasler. <laughs> Hello, good all. To see you. Yep. Good to be back. And then we have an even rarer sighting, <laughs> Steve Strobridge. I'm just here <laughs> because I heard that it's not going to be a lot of news today. So I, I think he came here to show off his hair. 
What it's color, nice, isn't it? What color is that? Rust red. It's a deep burgundy. Deep burgundy. Like so, my feelings for you, Grant. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so did you get all your panic buying done? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a tropical storm warning. And so all the doomsday preppers and apocalypse panickers were out there today as I'm trying to get like water and propane. So, yeah, it was a fun morning. You know, you just fill the water bottle up with the hose, garden hose. <laughs> it still comes out of the tap. Uh, from what I hear, you get lots of rainwater. Can't you just use that? I was actually thinking about that as I'm waiting in these insane lines. <laughs> you know, here we just use Amazon and Walmart Plus, you know. <laughs> Didn't you know the storm was coming like a week ago? No, the uh, the the cone of death just shows up. You know, we we know we know it's going to be here Tuesday, and so that's why the world is freaking out now, or at least South Florida is. Yeah, I mean, Eastern Canada got hammered with the the remnant of Fiona there, and they've got half a million people with knocked out power right now. So, well, last on the panel, uh, David Ladd. We could skip him. Why, hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on Coco Talk today. We've got an interesting day yet again. We'll see how the train wreck goes. We forgot see to check well. levels with David before we started the show, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if we have him on zero, he's still too loud. True. So, and we'll see how well my internet holds up today. Yeah, you got some new equipment to try that hopefully will help solve some of the problems. So, Yeah, I uh, finally replaced my 10-year-old modem. Uh, we'll oh, see if that, that helps. That might be the problem. <laughs> yeah, they do get tired. <laughs> so, um, okay. Let's see. Send it over to Curtis. Yep. Here, let's start the news. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Curtis Boyle. Muppet News Flash. I can't share yet, so. Okay, now you can. <coughs> okay, so <clears throat> there's some stuff that's officially part of Subtandy. There's some stuff that's not officially part of Subtandy, and there's just a lot of Coco Tandy stuff happening. So I'm not even going to bother mentioning which ones are which, which ones are officially tagged or not. Uh, if you want to find that out, you can just search for Subtandy on YouTube. Um, you might see on the screen a few times, but uh, this is now upcoming the last week of Septandy. So the complete wrap-up will be next week because um, the last official day is next Friday. So Saturday show, we'll cover that. I'm expecting a, a flurry of stuff from everybody on this panel here to join in on that. Anyway, to start us off, Color Computer Programming on YouTube, um, who's the guy you've been kind of like learning along with him as he goes through basic here. Uh, has done some further work on its little piano uh, program, which is basically just a, a you know basic using PMode 4, drawing it, and he's added some more notes, and he's got it so it animates the notes jumping across, and it just uses a standard play command. Um, I'll play a little bit of it, but um, I think we kind of covered it last week a bit too. couple of weeks. <clears throat> I don't have the time for programming. I, I know what that's like. Have. <clears throat> um, but I'm still doing it, and we have one, we have six notes now, I guess. So if you want to hear them, uh, this will work. Okay. So 
So I think he's got to start switching like uh, the the way the the notes are done. It kind of switches the octave in the middle of the the letters, so you have to kind of control the octave of the O command because uh, it's a little bit out of order. But it's kind of cool. I mean, it's a nice nicely presented, and like you said, he's he's just learning basic as he goes here, and he's, he's been covering all kinds of projects with graphics and text and all kinds of things. So that it's fun. I know to, Alan Huffman uh, has mentioned that's one of his favorite channels to watch because it's it kind of brings back the experience of when we were learning it all back in the eighties type thing. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. It would be neat to see it kind of animate the notes as it was playing through things to see kind of the notes dance back and forth, <clears throat> like you know, like a player piano look or something like that. That would be kind of cool. So it opens up some possibilities. Yeah, I mean, there. it does have the little musical staff move between the notes as, as you go. And I think it's joystick controlled, which actually, if, if you watch, he tries to do, so he takes some sheet music and tries to play with the six notes he's got, and he doesn't have enough of the sharps, he doesn't have any sharps and flats, so he can't quite do it, but. The thing is, it looks like he has to move the joystick and let it go down to the note that he wants to do. So if you're skipping four notes over, it's got some time delay. So I think that's something he probably will have to change the keyboard so you can just hit a key and it instantly does. It's kind of like Synther 7 or Synther 77 mm. does. Anyway, fun, fun stuff. Now, the next one he came up with here later in the week is kind of a weird... I don't know if it's a bug or it's the way the interpreter works. Um, this is something Alan Huffman may have to look into, actually. Because uh, he's can kind of just plowing through basic, and we'll get to his stuff a little bit later here. But if you take a look at the source code here, you can see he he's misspelled else by accident. But it doesn't fall through like you would expect. Like in this case, you know, a equals one. If a equals zero, which it's not, it should go then three else end. So you would figure it would either end, but it um... and run this and see what happens. What happens? It it goes on to line. So in this case, it didn't end, and it went through to, to the three. Now, I think it, my personal opinion is, I think it's just because it, it if then looks for an else in the same line, and if it doesn't find it, if the, if the if part fails, I think it just goes to the next line, and it ignores syntax errors and stuff. Like, it normally, this should have given you a syntax error, right? It shouldn't well, have just gone through. No, because uh, uh, A equals one, so that's, yeah, you're right, you're right, right. It should have went to end, and uh, or it should have given a syntax error. The A E S L E, right? If it did, yeah. if A equals zero, then three, but A and it wasn't, one. then it would play three anyway. So if the if ends when E S L E comes along, then you're still going to do three. Well, no, it should have skipped, it should have skipped three. Went went to the okay. well, no, because A equals zero, then three. Okay, it isn't. So I go to three now. Well, no, it should go to the asshole, right? Well, yeah, the yeah, asshole, what, you, what did you call it? I think the thing is, why didn't it give a syntax error on the Yeah, SL on the asshole part. Why did it continue? Yeah. But I think it, that's what it did. It just continued and ignored the asshole. Yeah, I, I haven't right. looked at the source code in the, in the, um, the spectral books, the, the disassemblies, but I think when you have a, an if that fails the, the test, in this case, which it would, because A is zero, A equals zero is not true. So it won't do the then three. I think it parses through the end of the line looking for the word else to see if there's anything to do, but it doesn't find it. So it just goes on to the next line. That's kind of what I'm guessing is happening. Like if you That's had no else too. at all. If you had no yeah. else at all. Yeah. 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 You would need an extra line two and a half to to put some condition to let to reveal that, I guess. Yeah, I would guess if you put in a line two and a half, it would execute line two and a half and then line three because it's failing that A equals zero and moves on. Yeah. And not reading the ESL at all. Yeah. I think it so, just literally, it, 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 it doesn't find the word else. So it hasn't tokenized it. And it just figures that's, 
I don't know what Another it figures. I, I would have thought it would have given a syntax error trying to parse it, though. So that is a bit of a... Would this work in basic 09 the same? I haven't tried it, so I'm not sure. I mean, that it's a bit, bit different in basic 09 because you got if and if and a bunch of other things to kind of wrap it more cleanly. Whereas on Microsoft Basic, it's a bit more loosey-goosey. So I don't know. That's a good question. Thank you. Anyway, it's, it's an interesting quirk. He goes through a couple different you know, tries of it, changes the variables and stuff here to show that the if A is zero, it does go to three. He actually inserts some lines and stuff there. But Alan, who's really been going through this kind of stuff and going through the spectral books and, and finding weird quirks in basic already, I think this is something he should tackle. And he has mentioned that he likes this channel himself. So he watches it. So hopefully he actually does an article on it. I don't know if it'd be part of Septandy because I think he pre-recorded all the stuff that's coming up. He basically had a you know thirty show or thirty blogs already pre-queued before Septandy started. But this would be an interesting way to follow up on to see exactly what it is doing. Okay, next up, Joel Reese uh, posted his port of VTL two, which stands for Very Tiny Language, which is well, it's very small, very simple. Um, it's sort of a little bit basic syntaxy, but not quite. <laughs> And it's obviously very limited, but the entire basic is, is less than uh, 2K, including its variables, its stack, and the code itself. So it's very, very small. And he's been kind of translating it from a 6800-6801, and he did an MC10 version of 6803 before. He's now finished converting the first draft of it to 6809. And you can go read his, you know, testing it and how it works and, you know, comparing it with uh, basic. <clears throat> and then you can actually go download it and give it a shot on the Dragon or the Coco. So... And he's got some other blog posts here on explaining how, how BTL works, how their expressions work, because the syntax is a little bit different than basic. But if you want to like, have a very simple programming language that's very, very compact and small, so you, if you ran this in 64K RAM mode, your code could be like 62K long. It's a, it's a pretty interesting little experiment. Is transliterating an actual word, you know, accepted word? Is it a new word? Or I have no idea. It's I don't have a dictionary handy to check. Feel free to research us and report back to us on that, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> really? I, I honestly don't know. Next to that, uh, Brenda, is it Maker Mackie? I can't remember how she pronounced his last name. Oh, I'll say Maker now. Mahi. <laughs> I have no idea. She did tell me <clears throat> quite a while ago when we first started featuring some of her stuff, but I can't remember now. At any rate, um, <clears throat> you may recall she was working on this project to put the uh, SCART adapter box, like if you look in the bottom of the Cocoa 3 where the RGB connector is, there's that hollowed out space that's quite big. It's way bigger than the cable needs. And she was going to make this box because she you know, doesn't like having to unplug it when you're moving it around stuff. And she was going to have this little adapter kind of in this little 3D printed box here so that basically you just unplug the cable from an actual connector instead of it floating all over the place. So she was about to do her first 3D print earlier in the week here. And this is the design that she came up with. And then as a follow-up, she actually did get it 3D printed. So there it is. And then she has a picture. Oh, maybe it was in the other one. Shoot. Previous post. Okay, just a second. She's uploaded this to Thingiverse too. I think she had a picture in the comments of what it actually looks like. There's a black one. Well, that's just the, the actual box stuff, but she actually hasn't installed and I want to show you what, what that, because it's kind of hard to explain. 
somewhere in here I saw it. Honest. Ah, there, close. there you go. Yeah. So basically that would mount permanently. You just have to unplug that one DB9 instead of doing the whole SCART and everything else. But what is that back. connector there? <clears throat> what is that DB9 supposed to go to if this is SCART? Uh, she was kind of explaining there's like an little adapter cable, I think is how that works. Mm. To go to her sports, to go to her SCART box, right? Yeah, I think so. Remember, it's a 10 pin plug, but one of them's not used. There's oh, yeah. So DB9 more. would work perfectly. And DB9s are super, super common because that's an R232 mm -hmm. standard and yep. joystick standard, a bunch of things. So, so this is a, basically a slightly more modular plug for the RGB connection <clears throat> under the Coco. So it's less kind of loosey goosey in there. Yeah. Well, her, her purpose was that you basically would attach this and have it just leave the RGB because she was worried about the RGB double header connector. You're like every time you jostle, like to unplug it, to move the cocoa around, or if you're taking it to trade shows, whatever, that right. you might bend the pins and wreck the connector. And this would actually mount permanently. So that never gets touched again. A DB9 is much more robust than a double header connector. That okay. was her purpose. So. Okay. Clever. So I wonder if that um, is lower than a foot. Well, she might be able to adapt that a little bit. I mean, she's still working on the final designs. I know she said her 3D printer, she probably should have used a different, now uh, you guys know 3D printers better than I do, but there's different types of 3D printing, like resin versus uh, some other things that she was thinking she might have had to do something slightly different or a di different, different material. Raw printing material um, for the way the, her design works. So she's still in the midst of you know experimenting, but it is basically doing what she wanted it to do now. And if you guys are interested in giving it a shot or taking a look at the project, it's on Thingiverse, and uh, the link will be in the show notes on our Discord. And uh, you guys can fiddle with it or experiment with it yourselves, too. Hmm. Okay, next up, uh, in the Motorola 6809-6309-6800 assembly language group on Facebook, which I actually should start checking a bit more often because it looks like there's been a few interesting things happening there lately. <laughs> um. Graham Toll posted a couple things. So the first one here is he's started work on a 6809 super optimizer, as he calls it. And he has a link to the C source code. Now, right now, it sounds like he's just basically got the framework up for it. But the, the purpose of it is, is to actually take 6809 code and then have this program optimize it for you instead of you having to figure out all the optimization stuff. Now, obviously, it can't catch every trick in the book. But for those of you that uh, are just learning 6809 or don't want to take the time to go through and hand tweak optimize like idiots like me and Bill Noble do all the time in Nitrous, uh, this might be a good project. Like if you have a program that's basically done and working, but you want to you know try to optimize it for a game or something so it runs faster. Um, once this project is done, this might be an, a help for you doing that. I don't know how sophisticated he's going to get it. Um, like it could be stuff like you know storing something direct page to do a manipulation on rather than the stack because it's a cycle faster or. You know, I don't know if he's going to get stuff like stack blasting or anything fancy like that. So I'll have to see how far he takes the project. But it'd be nice for the, especially for beginner assembly programmers to, uh, you know, kind of give you an edge. And, and maybe you can even compare like your source versus the optimized one and learn the new techniques or different techniques that might be faster for you. So that was his first post that I covered. And next, this is kind of cool. He made a little uh, template and it's in really high risk. You can print it out, but it's actually four common chips with all the pinouts actually labeled by their function, not just the pin numbers. So if you just, and it's got the pin numbers on there as well, so that if you're just taking a look at the chip and you have this little you know guide sitting beside you type thing, I mean, I'm sure some of your hardware guys have probably memorized all these already, but um, 
you know, if you're trying to remember which, which pin is data line three on the 6809 or data line zero on the 6821 or the 6850, which is a serial chip, et cetera. So um, it's a nice, I, I would imagine it's a nice little guide. Do you guys have anything like this, you hardware developer guys? Like yeah, Rick? sometimes, yeah. Or Mark or either Mark? Well, unfortunately, modern tools like KiCad killed all of this because it just knows. So I draw off of its footprint, and so you you don't actually see a label when you're doing it in KiCad thing. Well, it's it's there, but you don't really need to care. Um, but like right now, if I was doing something using the sixty eight oh nine, I would stick DO through D eight tags on those chips, and AO through A fifteen tags through those chips, and I would never route a single wire. It would just be done for me. Um, so you don't really need to know yourself like you used to when this kind of thing was really common. I mean, okay. So this would be more for the hobbyist. That's like you using a breadboard and just trying to wire a project manually. more. Than exactly. That. I'd have 20 of these. I'd stick one on the circuit board so I could run my bodge wires without having to think about it. Or for troubleshooting and need to know, you know where the pins are. Right. But you know, anymore. Mm -hmm. Or stick your meter. Well, and that's, that's really the other thing. So like in KiCad, I can click on a pin in the schematic and the, circuit board diagram will highlight in the other screen. So I don't need to do that translation in my brain anymore, which I'm getting really lazy, but I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for lazy. So I understand. Anyway, if you guys want to grab it, it's on Facebook in the 6809, 6309, 6800 semi language programming group. And it's, it's a, like a high res one. You can print it out and it's quite, quite clean. So. If anybody wants to do the old style breadboard thing instead of, you know, being all fancy and modern like Rick, <laughs> you can go ahead and get it. Fancy like and modern. Hand layout boards. Fancy and modern. Two things you think of when you think of Rick. Yep. Right? Yep. Couldn't be. <laughs> <Or> the cocoa. <laughs> yeah, when he graces us with his presence when he's not touring with ZZ Top. <laughs> ZZ. Yeah, I, think, I think that one on the right was uh, an EEPROM. Yeah, I think it was too. It was, it's mentioned in the comments specifically what it was. So, uh, Next up, and I'm not sure which Dave they're referring to here. I don't think it's David Ladd, though David Ladd can confirm that. Uh, William Major actually on the Color Computer Archive posted that uh, somebody named Dave has uploaded scans of the entire run of Hot Cocoa from June of 83 to February of 86. So it's absolutely a complete collection now. So any of you who didn't get Hot Cocoa back in the day or want to take a look at it, uh, that's the complete run. And they're quite good quality scans. It's actually better than some of the rainbows that are on, on the archive because there's a few there that are missing pages, pages out of order. There's some like blue and yellow glitching on quite a few of the pages. I'm not sure what happened there because I know they were a bit better quality before, but uh, the, from the, I haven't looked at everyone, obviously, but I've looked at a, several of them. These are quite pristine. So a uh, quick question for you guys here. Um, and this is just kind of for interest's sake. For those of you who were buying Cocoa magazines back in the day, and we had like Color Computer News, Rainbow, Color Computer Magazine, Hot Cocoa, um, plus a few smaller ones like Spectrogram and stuff. What what were the ones that you guys had as your favorite? I would say Rainbow was my favorite. I had three. Rainbow, yeah, Rainbow was all I had, so I didn't really have a choice. Okay. And there's also yeah. another one, too, if I remember correctly, called Family Computing, because that, that's another one I used to get. Yeah, that was a cross-platform one. Yeah. yeah. Like Creative Computing was, yeah. Color like computer. myself personally, my favorite was Color Computer News until it died. 
because it was more technical and really got into the like the nitty gritty stuff, whereas Rainbow was more beginner oriented, I guess. And they kind of changed that later as, as time went on. And if you wanted ads, like you want to find out what was available for the Coco, obviously Rainbow was by far the best because that's where all the advertisers went. But I much uh, preferred hot, CCN. Hot Cocoa seemed to be uh, very uh, hardware oriented. Yeah, it kind of it kind of took over somewhat from CCN. They actually, that was right around the same time. Like the first issue of Hot Cocoa was June. The last issue of CCN, I think, was September of that same year, 83. And we had Bill Zeiss on to interview, and he, he was talking about the whole divorce and a bunch of other things that happened that caused the machine to fold, but, or the magazine to fold. <clears throat> but this one kind of picked up where CCN left off in some ways. Yeah. Uh, James Jeff- Diffendaffer says he liked uh, CCN better. I don't remember seeing those wherever I had access to them. So Rainbow is the only one I remember seeing. And then there was the um, the one you got from Tandy. What was that? The oh, Tandy yeah, cheers micro- to Microcomputer News. Microcomputer yeah. News. So that was basically free. Um, I don't remember having a, a spectrum of cocoa offerings in um, my local bookstores and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, up here, I mean, I mean, Ken, you can tell me, like, were you in North Balfour still in, during this time period? Yes, I was. Because here, Color Computer Magazine was carried in, like, Canadian Tire, <laughs> of yeah. all places. Hot Cocoa was carried in Coles and W.H. Smith's, as was Rainbow, though that was a bit later. Like, we didn't start getting those until, like, 83, 84. We didn't get it at the beginning. There was a small local Apple shop that actually carried Rainbow in 82. That's where I first found it. Yeah, that's where I first found mine too, the Apple shop in North Battleford. So I used to get Compute and um, Rainbow from there. Yeah, and we had one one downtown computer shop, which is kind of more business-oriented. For some reason, carried CCN for like the last three months before it died. So I actually, that's where I first discovered it, and then I got some back issues. But But yeah, I mean, here, I mean, if you were going to a regular bookstore, like a chain, you would get Hot Cocoa, Rainbow, and that was pretty well at Color Computer Magazine. Like I said, for some reason, Canadian Tire sold it. Don't have a clue why, but that's where I bought mine. Oh, they did have a computer section. Yeah, well, they're selling Amigas store. and, and uh, Commodore 64s and stuff there, too. So And Adams. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Yeah, because when I go to get my tires replaced, that's what I'm thinking of. I might as well pick up a computer while I'm here. You can read a magazine <laughs> while you wait on your oil change, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they still sell a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with automotive. So I guess they haven't really changed. No computers, though. I got anyway, for of those my... of you that want to relive the, the glory days of hot cocoa here, the entire run's now on the Cocoa Computer Arcade. And go ahead. I used to get my rainbow from Radio Shack toward the end. Yeah, Radio Shack's here never carried rainbow. We had one. They, so they, they were persona non grata, anything that wasn't handy. Tears City Microcomputer News, that was the only thing you can get. In well, they actually Shack. supported our Color Computer Club. That's why. I'm jealous. <laughs> so did anyone else? Go ahead, Rick. Testing one, two, three. So did anyone else buy the computer shopper that was like 786 pages? Of yeah. I, I did occasionally. Like I mean, <laughs> that was looking for hardware for cheap. That was what I bought it for. And they had that one Coco column. I can't remember the guy's name now. Exactly. I would pick it up just to get the one column because there was so little stuff I could find in my little. I heard you, Nick Morentes. Oh, sorry. I have having microphone problems. That's all. I think I've got it going. <laughs> yeah, we heard you. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and by the Which way, I was trying to good. say, I was trying to say so many times that Color Computer Magazine was my favorite, but I realized, hang on, they can't hear me. <laughs> 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 Let me do a test. Nitrous Nine sucks. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, no one heard it. At that point, I would have just kicked you off. So I'm sorry, Nick. Can you repeat that again, please? <laughs> I love OS nine. Yeah, You're, or or you forgot to add, except for the trash can. <laughs> Here, here's a new tagline for Nitrous Nine: Ease of Deuce. <laughs> <laughs> and actually nix now that you're on because that's another country to talk about so what 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 i mean you guys had australian rainbow did you guys have the regular rainbow as well yeah we did yeah because that yeah, was kind I'm of a weird up. thing because us, the australian rainbow kind of republished some rainbow stuff and, and that was a direct thing with lonnie and then they also did some of their own stuff unique originally uh american rainbow wasn't available so some guys started up the australian rainbow which was basically a licensed copy of uh american rainbow uh but then eventually uh american rainbow became available and uh then they decided that we'll we'll make an australian specific version called australian cocoa and i used to buy that as well as the american rainbow and uh the color computer magazine and hot cocoa as well i used to buy them all but um color oh, so you had all magazine. those in australia too that's, that's yeah cool. we had them all yeah they did in the early years, it did, yeah. In now, did the, you guys uh, ever have Color Computer News? I don't know if Bill would have been able to sell in us. No, no, not that one, no. <clears throat> no. That's too bad. But yeah, I mean, as far as the presentation, I mean, honestly, Rainbow, I always refer to that as one for ads, but Color Computer Magazine actually was more slickly produced, I think. Yeah, um, I like that one the best, yeah. That, the, that one looked like a you know, real magazine rainbow started, you know, getting towards that later on, but at the beginning you could tell it was kind of like homemade CCN was really homemade cause they had spelling mistakes, everything else. Cause he didn't really care about that kind of stuff. So. I love how but, this guy here is getting all the screen time while we talk about something that has nothing to do with Yeah, him. And he's actually in our, dis our chat right now too. He <laughs> oh, just joined he really Discord. <laughs> 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 so welcome Albert Marsh. Uh, here's, here's your video and, and welcome to our chat as well. All right, here we go. Yeah. Great segue. Yeah. So um, Albert's actually just done a, I think he's done one previous Subtandy video. This was the second one. And he was actually, this is, Ron's going to love this one because he actually yeah. goes through Deskmate. And uh, I won't play the whole video because it's 11 minutes long, but uh, he kind of just mentions that this was kind of his word processor of choice and he used the calendar and everything else. And he kind of goes through and, and demonstrates each piece of it. So I'll just play a little clip of it here and the rest you can, you can what happen. If you have any questions like for Albert, feel just free. Just a moment. But first, let's look at tried and true word processor I used in the late 80s. The original color computer Deskmate was the first office application I utilized on my color computer 3. Spring back fond memories, Ron? Deskmate 3. Well, that's color computer 2 so version, isn't it? Review yeah. Again. yeah, the original Deskmate for the Cocoa 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. Now, I know, Ron, obviously you've used it, and Albert in the chat obviously have yep. used it. How many of the rest of you actually used Decimate much back in the day? Because the Decimate was the one they were trying to make cross-platform. They did Decimate built into the Tandy 1000 series as yeah, well. I only used the Tandy 1000 version. I was I never saw it on the Coco. Right. Anybody, anybody else? Because this is one of those um, library-style programs. It's like VIP library where you had mm -hmm. VIP writer and spell and terminal and everything else here. And here you had calendar, ledger, a paint program, index cards. Uh, modem program and a text editor. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, by the time Desk may come out, I was already using like Telewriter 64 or VIP Writer, which were much more advanced than these. And VIP, of course, had their whole library and, and those programs were much more advanced too. So I didn't really, I would have viewed this more as like the beginner's integrated library type thing. 
but it ran under OS 9, so I have to give it some props. <laughs> now, I know Albert mentions in the uh, in the video here that he's trying to get, or maybe mentioned it on the comments, but he's been trying to get Deskmate 3, like the Cocoa 3 version running, which I know Ron's been bugging me about as well. And I, I it, currently, on the current versions of Nitrous 9, and I don't know what happened to cause this. I have to disassemble Deskmate and figure what's going on. Uh, but it actually is broken and doesn't work properly. So uh, there's a few other games too that are having the same problem. Cave Walker doesn't play at the right speed and a few other games as well. So I have to kind of go through and figure out what exactly is going on. But uh, those will be a work in progress. I do want to get it working because I mean, a lot of people have a nostalgia for it. So, And and Ron, did you use Death, the original Deskmate much or did you start on Deskmate? Oh, oh you did both? Oh. And was, I'm trying to remember because I think you talked about this before. Didn't you run your business somewhat on this? Yeah, I used the... Um, the uh... Yeah, what it would it be? The text editor. To, I made up a, a form, <clears throat> and I had the um, computer in my truck, and you know, on a um, inverter, and had a printer. And what I would do is uh, make invoices. I'd uh, letter people's windows, and then print out a, a an invoice, and I'd have a copy of it, you know, because I'd save it off on the, one of the data banks there, and put the date, and then. Um, when uh, version three came out, it was nicer, and I still yeah, it added forty columns, sixteen color yeah. paint program, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, so I've had I have a whole bunch of uh, floppies full of data, you know, of um, invoices that I used it for. It was kind of cool to be able to you know print it out in my van, you know, and hand the guy a a printed uh, invoice instead of the old days before computers. She had a you know, a pad with, uh, you write it down just like they did at Radio Shack. Where yeah, like the carbon copy forms. Yeah, man. exactly. Yeah. Like like we see at Cocoa Fests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty high tech. Yeah. Now, one, one thing, was, uh, before we go off. high tech before high tech was even in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> well, one thing I will mention here is that the the icons that, I don't know who programmed this for Tandy, but uh, the icons they did like for the telephone for telecom and the text editor, the little book and stuff are actually quite well done considering, you know, the low resolution screen they're doing. Yeah. But I have to say Nick's trash can is much better. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Because they did this kind of 3D like thing, thing on the main icons, the trash can is just a little 2D. On top of a pillar or something right there. So Yeah, it's like a Roman column or something. <laughs> well, I never used paint much. Ledger, I didn't need. I did use the index card thing, and um, I, I did use Telcom. I did go on, um, you know, twelve hundred baud, <laughs> but and uh, it would wrap. But what was the paint like? Was it any any? No, good it's at just all? rudimentary. Yeah, yeah, it was rudimentary. Yeah, I first used the Tandy one thousand text version, and then when they came out with the graphical version, um, you know, I copied that to my hard drive, and that paint program was halfway decent because uh, I think they had a high res four color mode. Um, that you can get some decent looking kind of color dithering effects and stuff. Was the paint program on, on Deskmate 3 improved much, Ron? Not much. So just they added the colors and that was pretty yeah. good. Yeah. You done. know, there was, <laughs> we had other stuff to use. Yeah. It definitely wasn't Color Max or Color Max yeah. Deluxe or Coco Max 3 or anything. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of the reason why I went towards this is because um, in back in the day, that was our, windowing you know windows was a big thing coming up and we already had it yeah because i'm trying to remember the first decimate on the coco came out what 85 maybe late 84 yeah yep 
Well, it's pretty pretty early on. The whole integrated package where you had all these programs kind of linked together and could read each other's files was, I mean, in the Cocoa, that started with VIP, and then there were some other ones by some other companies that came out later. But uh, I think that really started with the Super Color Writer series, and then they made VIP Library. That was like around the same time this came out. So that was kind of the whole shift of the industry at that point. So is um, Albert, who did this video, is he like somewhat new to YouTube? I I haven't I've only yeah caught his Septandi stuff oh, okay. here the last while so I, I don't know how active he's been mm -hmm. on before. Thanks for doing Coco stuff, Albert. Yeah, and then thanks for joining our Discord. Hope to hope to see you there in some some of the chat channels. Let me go check out his video, and he's he, I don't know if he has more Septandi coming up. Um, he might be able to demonstrate the Decimate three, you know, booting on its own type thing. And I will try to get both Decimates running under Nitrous Nine. I just have to get some time to, to get onto that. He apparently claims Cocomax 3 ruled. Yeah, there, there's a bit of a, a competition there. Like Color Max 3, the original one came out a couple months ahead of Cocomax 3, and that's what I bought it because I wanted a 3D, or a, sorry, a Coco 3 editing graphics program, and I wasn't going to wait. So I got that. Um, Cocomax 3 was definitely better, had more features. But when Color Max Deluxe came out, that actually had some features that I really wanted that Cocomax 3 didn't have, like direct GIF save and load type stuff. So I personally prefer Color Max 3 Deluxe. It also required 512K because it had some more advanced features, but I can definitely see like Cocomax 3. If you were used to Cocomax 2, you were you were already know how to use it type thing. Like it was pretty well identical except for Cocomax 3 features added. And then yeah. Cocomax 3 worked really well with Max 10, which came out later if you wanted to do desktop publishing. So, you know, it depends on what your did, purpose did you, was. Did you have all the fonts? I had, I didn't have all the font discs. I think I had one set. There were, I, I think remember. there was four. Yeah, there was quite a few. Did the Tandy Koala Pad come with any type of like pack-in art program, or did you just have to use them? I don't whatever? think so. It was just the pad, yeah. wasn't it? I remember I had yeah. that. I also had the XPad, and I remember the XPad gave you some demo programs, and you know I ended up writing my own graphics drawing tools for the XPad. Um, I still remember if the Qualipad had a program or not. Yeah. And Albert's asking here uh, about Colormax X. I never knew, but I'd love to see it. Uh, I will tell you right now that the original authors have actually made that legally freeware. It's on the Color Computer Archive at colorcomputerarchive.com. And there is a patch version now that doesn't even need the high-res joystick interface. It uses the special programming timing technique that Sockmaster and Nick, who's on the panel, came up with to simulate high-res without needing a high-res joystick interface using, I think it's the timed leak of a capacitor as it drains or something. I, Nick, you can explain how that works. But basically, you don't even need the high-res interface to run it now. Bonus. you still awake there, Nick? Or did your microphone kick out again? <laughs> now it's too late. Crikey, Nitrous 9 sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I want to make sure Nick's awake, I have to say something like zero hours sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, the microphone's working now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, did I get that explanation right about the the software high res? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's wow. fine. That's like hardware stuff, and I actually said it right. I'm, I'm amazed. And I think um, Eric Gaverluck at one stage said he was doing a 6309 version of uh, Color Max Deluxe, but I don't think he ever... Yeah, he Got said he actually ran or... some tests and he had certain features running like 30 to 40% yeah, faster. Yeah, that would have been, that, that been good. Yeah, hopefully he does finish that because I would love to have that. <clears throat> we need more 639 optimized stuff as uh, we'll cover in another story a little bit later on. 
Yeah. Uh, next up, part of Septandi, <clears throat> and this is from Pedro Pena, who's known as Rocky Hill on YouTube. And uh, last week we did his hour video about redesigning his uh, static RAM upgrade to use a through hole design. And this is him actually assembling it. I won't play the whole thing of this because it's 20 minutes long. We'll play just a little bit at the beginning. Can I get you an idea? In an earlier video, I made this board, designed this board here. And this board is meant to be a through hole replacement for this board, which I made earlier. This is a 64K RAM board for the Coco 2. I've just received this a couple of hours ago. And what I want to do is attempt to assemble it in one take. Like I said, I will attempt to do that. And I'm not going to use anything fancy, you know, soldering iron. I'm not going to hold, I'm not going to have a circuit holder or helping hands, or at least not try not to use helping hands so that, you know, you can see that you can assemble this with like the bare minimum number of tools or whatever. Anyway, spoiler, it actually did work first try. Um, and of course, this this is designed for the two chip upgrade, uh, which I think requires a Coco Two B. That's the one that had like when the whole RAM fire in Japan happened, the RAM factory fire, and all the prices shot up. So they actually Tandy manufactured some circuit boards that accepted both eight forty one sixty fours or a little satellite board with the uh, two forty four sixty fours to do the RAM upgrade because basically try to pick whatever chips you can get for cheaper type thing. Uh, and for those of you that have Coco 3s that uh, picked them up on eBay or whatever with 128K, um, that uses four 4464s. So if you're going to upgrade your Coco 3 to 512 or 2 meg or 8 meg or whatever, keep those chips because actually those would work on the, of the original Coco 2Bs. And you could actually just pop two of those in and upgrade a machine from 16 to 64K, basically for free because you have the chips lying around. Now, this is a static RAM upgrade here. So this is a, a bit different. Um, and being static RAM, this also will work with Brennan Donahue's um, SAM doubler. So it will allow your Coco 2, once you've installed this RAM upgrade and his SAM doubler thing, you can actually run a Coco 1 or 2 at full 2 megahertz, just like the Coco 3 does, RAM and ROM. And uh, that requires a static RAM because it doesn't need to refresh. And that's what usually goes wrong when you do the double speed RAM on a Coco 1 or 2. So, But you do need the Coco VGA if you're going through the RAM or the clock doubler though yeah i think the vdg couldn't handle the full speed so I'm, I'm a little confused does this um bring your 16k machine to 64 and yep. you're adding the extra ram but that's not as fast as the 16k on the on the motherboard right not as fast well you said um this th those chips are faster that you're adding on the satellite board right so well, in this case, they're static RAM. So dynamic RAM, which is what the Cocos and everybody else use in the day because they're way cheaper, um, you have to refresh the RAM. Otherwise, they eventually forget what they're holding. Static RAM keeps it static. It doesn't, it doesn't disappear. You don't have to, it's not discharging. So basically, that whole refresh cycle the computer has to do to keep the RAM remembering things, you have to send this kind of wave through it to, to get it to, okay, remember all this stuff. And then, you know, so many microseconds later, you do it again. You have to keep doing that. With static RAM, you don't need to do any of that at all. And that's how the Gimme X's 3 megahertz mode works, too. You need a static RAM upgrade on there. And then the one-third of the CPU, <clears throat> or one-third of the time that would have normally been doing refresh, is now dedicated to running actual code again. And that's how you get that one-third speed increase going from 2 megahertz to 3 megahertz. 
but it so never answered my question. Um, well, there's no difference for running it normally, like just plugging this in and running it. It's no difference in speed whatsoever. It, it runs the same. Right. But Understood. if you have a SAM doubler or want to get one, you have to have static RAM. And if CookieVJ as David but, mentions. But that, doesn't that mean you have to have all your 64K static RAM? Yes. But but this in this case, you would still have 16K on the board, motherboard, no. right? No. No, you take no. off the 16. What? No way. Nobody said that. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's that's standard on all the, like if you're replacing a 16K with 64K, no matter what Coco you're on, you have to pull the old chips out. Okay. Same as a Coco well, 3, I, I like you have to sure pull the 120 because, out to put the 512 in. Because this has two rails that you plug it into, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and are, are the the RAM chips that are 16K underneath that or near it? or Yeah, they're in between the, the, they're in between the uh, rails. Okay. And you, okay. And you take them out. Yeah. All right. See, no one said that. And didn't this board have like three ways you could change the chips? You could put in the satellite board. There was a couple of things you could do to. Yeah. They were trying to cover all the bases on, on you know, because of the RAM shortage that was happening at the time and nobody knew which way it was going to go or yeah, how fast a, it was going to recover. There's a good so picture of it there. There's the picture there. Yeah. Yeah. There's your two rails right there. And, and I think these are the 4464s. Are they yes. socketed? Yes. Yeah. And you put those straight into a uh, Coco uh, 3. Yeah, that's half of a 128K Coco 3, literally. Yeah. So you can swap those chips back and forth. If you have a Coco 2B, I think this is, <clears throat> that has all these options that we're talking about, then um, those chips you can swap between a Coco 3, 128K, either direction. I mean, if you blew some chips on your Coco 3 and you want to put them back in, you can just pull them off here. But most people, if they had a Coco 3, they would just you know sell the... 4464s because basically it's two 64k RAM upgrades for a later model Coco 2. I think Pedro goes into more detail on some of this stuff too, but uh, definitely ask him on Discord too because he, he knows all the, the specs on this or ask Rick or some of the other hardware guys here. So let me ask you this question. Was uh, 64k Coco 2 sold with a board already installed and the RAM not even there underneath it? I very few because the ones later they had another board that came out with that actually had uh, a spot on board for the uh, 64 by ones during that time period. Yeah. And the two Coco two B's I have that have the satellite board connector, they came a 64 K, but they have the, uh, the two uh, 64 K by four chips. Yeah. The 44 64s. Yeah, I think the preference was to use the 64 by fours because that was cheaper. Because otherwise, you had to uh, uh, build the build the ex this uh, the extended circuit board, and that was extra cost. And that had to hold eight chips. <laughs> yeah, so it's like they used it if they absolutely had to, but they certainly preferred the just the two chip method. Yeah, and that was once again. Now this was what eighty. I don't remember what year this was. Were these American ones? Or no, these were uh, Japanese. Korean. I think. Or Korean or something. Yeah. There was a there was a factory, and this affected the whole PC industry, not just the Coco. This affected PCs and everybody else. There was a factory manufacturing a lot of the RAM at the time that actually had a huge fire, and so it was offline for months. And there was a chip RAM shortage everywhere, and RAM prices shot through the roof. That's when Chris Burke introduced the quarter meg, where he was selling two fifty six cap grid boards because he could get you know half the chips for about the same price as they had costed for the whole. 512k upgrade literally two months before 
but a lot of software that says requires 512k really only needed 256k. So that was kind of like a stopgap measure to get the industry and the cocoa industry in particular through. Like if you wanted to run King's Quest 3 or Rogue in graphics or any of that kind of stuff, it said 512k required. You could get away with 256k and they would run. And that was kind of a stopgap issue, which was only lasted maybe eight months to a year. And then, you know, the RAM came back online and you know the shortage went away and then people just started upgrading like normal. So was this the the potting plastic fire where it didn't matter what manufacturer you talked to, they couldn't get the plastic either. So no chips from us. I honestly don't remember. I remember Rainbow actually mentioned it and so did like PC magazine and a bunch of others because like I said, it was an industry wide thing. It wasn't Tandy or Radio Shack or Cocoa specific. It was yeah. everywhere. Here comes Mark saying in yeah, the chip. the chip plastic plant. So you had multiple RAM suppliers. You thought you were double sourced and everything, but none of them could get the plastic because they were all single source. Mark, Mark Siegel said, yes, it was the chip plastic that burned. <laughs> Good stuff. And you were saying, Mark B, you had? I was just trying to uh, uh, point out Mark's uh, te- uh, chat. Yeah, and, my, and Mark would have been working directly with, you know, ordering that kind of stuff at Tandy at the time. So he would probably know but much better than I would. I just remember it was a huge... Huge deal industry-wide, like RAM prices doubled overnight. It was terrible. It's kind of like the chip shortage we have now. Now, a bit of sad news. <clears throat> and this was posted in our Discord by uh, Peter Stark Jr., uh, his son, who's actually been in our community for a couple of years now, active. But Peter Stark, the guy behind Star Kits. Now, this is a company, software company that he did that actually existed before the Coco did. They actually did stuff at 6 to 800 series and, and 6809 general computers, not just the Coco. Uh, but he started advertising the Coco magazines and ported Spell and Fix, probably his most famous product and, and a bunch of other things uh, to the Coco. Uh, passed away at the age of 84. And uh, I mean, Peter, unfortunately, has lost his mother and his father both in the last year, which is just terrible. But uh, um, for those of you not familiar with, with Star Kits, this was probably one of the most moral of software companies I've seen. Um, like at the beginning when he started advertising, I'll show you one of his first ads here. Um, this is from July 1982 Rainbow. So here's where he's got Spell and Fix, which just got ported from some of the other 6800 and 6809 systems because they had it for the SWTPC and the gimmicks and Smoke Signal Chieftain and a bunch of others here too. And there's Flex versions and there was, uh, OS, I think it was OSI versions and dot, or, you know disk basic versions of it. Humbug, which is a color computer monitor. So this is one of his first ads in Rainbow when he first started getting into the uh, the cocoa market. And a later ad here is when he started doing these chats, which at first he called a word from the sponsor. Now, <clears throat> normally you'd see some editorial thing, right? Like somebody hyping how great their products are, which, I mean, occasionally he did do, I will admit. But he tried to make this part of his ads useful like he'd have program snippets or he'd explain how to do something in basic or something like that like it was a tutorial so instead of just hyping his own stuff all the time he actually literally took half of his ad and made it a little educational thing and then he had a contest to see what we would want to call this because he thought word from your sponsor is kind of boring and now like like in this particular one his first column here that he did this and he goes and explains about print number he said the basic man explains that print outputs to the screen print number Negative two is for the printer, print number data one is to cassette. And he said, what it doesn't say is that print number zero outputs to the TV screen just as well. So you can actually just make a variable that will contain zero, one, or two, and then you can write to all three with the exact same program. So you can actually ask the user, do you want to write this to the screen? 
you want to print it or do you want to write it to a cassette file? And then he gives a little bit of sample code. And that was the kind of stuff he published, you know, tips and tricks that have absolutely nothing to do with his products whatsoever. And I thought that was really cool. And I, he's one of the very few people that ever did this in any computer that I know of. They would take up, I mean, ads were not cheap. And he took up half of his ad space just to help the user that had nothing to do with selling his stuff. None of, none of this stuff, which was just awesome. And it's one of the reasons I do remember Star, Star Kits quite a bit from the day. <clears throat> and this is the first one after the, he had a little contest. And I can't remember what he gave away. I think he mentions it here. But uh, he wanted to name this column. And, and the person that won that was Star Kibitz, which I thought was a cute name. <clears throat> so he mentions here he's at the Cut Computer Show in Chicago, which is Rainbow Fest, of course. Um, and I had the show, they raffled away a TV set, <laughs> which is just odd. And now this is one of the ones where he does do a little bit of plugging about some of his products and stuff here too. But, um, this, this continued on for a long time and, um, fairly unique in the computer industry that you would actually, you know, take half of the hundreds of dollars that you're spending to have an ad, a full page ad in a magazine. And he didn't just advertise in rainbow, he advertised in the other Coca magazines as well. And, and just de de devoting it to the user, no cost. Like here's some tips and tricks, programming tips, uh, you know, general computer tips and all kinds of stuff. So uh, my my hats off to Peter for starting that. And unfortunately, not a lot of people, you know, kind of followed suit with that. But it would be really cool if they had. And, and thanks to Peter Jr. for uh, letting us know uh, that his dad had, had passed away. He was, he's been in the industries. I think he started Star Kits in 79 and he went through like until the mid to late 80s, um, publishing stuff with the cocoa and gimmicks and everything else. So, okay, next up is the barrage of basic stuff from Alan Huffman. He's, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the last couple of shows here, he pre planned like 30 days worth of Septandy blogs and they just keep coming. So, this week he's published. Define function for fun and profit, the DEFFN. And as he mentions here, this is a command you you kind of read in the manual when you're a kid and you're going, I don't understand what the hell this is talking about. And then you go on to you know, learn how to do P mode 4. And uh, that, that was me too. I looked at it and didn't quite understand it at the time and never really used it for anything. But basically, it lets you define a function based on the input from a single variable. And... Um, as Alan experiments and he goes through and, and actually charts some of these, it's actually a fair bit slower than doing it raw, but it will save you space in your program. If you're calling a certain function a lot, you can define the function once and then you just do, you know, FN, the name of the function and the value you're passing to it. And you can put sine, cosine, all kinds of stuff in there. And if you do that type of thing, like a bit more of a complicated function, then it actually will save space in your program if you're calling this quite often. Uh, so at the cost of a little bit of speed, you have more space available for your program in those particular cases. And he, he kind of goes through that, you know, down below here as he goes through the different timings, et cetera. So this is another one of those things. It's just like Microsoft Basic where you, you have speed versus size. And and Microsoft Basic itself, that, that was a programming language that actually evolved under the same restrictions. <clears throat> they crammed a lot of code into the 8K ROM and the 16K ROM for extended basic that they could have optimized to be faster. <clears throat> if they had, you know, expanded it and memory wasn't such an issue. But back in those days, I mean, bumping a, a ROM from 8K to 16K or having to add a second ROM or whatever was a fairly expensive endeavor to go through. <clears throat> so, you know, the the, the, the toss-up was, what do you do? Do you, do you concentrate more 
on the speed, in which case you're using more room, which means the programs are smaller or it's more expensive. Or do you go for the really compact code that fits, you know, and that's even a thing with microcontrollers and stuff today where you have to like maybe just cram it into a very small space. So it's a pretty good article and actually, you know, kind of really teaches how the FN function works, which, you know, back in the day, I had no idea. I, I, I saw programs that used it, didn't really understand it. So, You know, when you first start programming in basic back in the day, you think that there's only one way to do it, you know, especially if you're typing from a book or you're learning these different, you know, um, teachings, you know, areas that do different functions. And you think that that's it. And that, you know, you just plug in these things and make a program work. But then later on, you learn that there's shortcuts that people are sharing that yep. do the same thing, but it's not documented that way in the book. And then you think, well, how the heck am I going to remember anything like that? It's not, it's not <laughs> I have anywhere. an answer for you on that, Ron. Okay. Go to Alan's blog. <laughs> He's got <laughs> really? years worth of these articles doing exactly that. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, most manuals would try to explain, like they're trying to explain the keywords and the functions and commands so that it would show you how it works. And they'd pick a certain subject to apply it to. And that would be how it's shown to be done. But you're right. Yeah. There's many ways to skin the cat yeah. type thing. The, the yeah. secret is that there's faster ways to do it, but this will get you going. Yeah. And sometimes it's a sake of readability. Like maybe uh, this this slower version is much easier to look at at a glance and understand, especially if you're just beginning programming. Right. Versus you can do some convoluted mess that, you know, it runs 40 cycles faster type thing, but you have to really look at it and squint your eye to figure out what exactly the hell is this doing? <laughs> and that, that, that applies to semi-language and C too. I mean, any programming language, there's a lot of these types of tricks that you can do that, you know, if speeds of the utmost importance is worth the extra time to learn and do. But if you're trying to make code that's like readable and easily upgraded to something else, you want to add a feature later on a year down the line when you've kind of forgotten what you did, that it's easier just to look at it. Very simple code that's a little bit slower, but you instantly understand it. Oh, I can insert this new function here type thing. So once again, the toss up between speed and, and readability in this case, instead of uh, size. You know, um, it's like that actually in uh, when I was, painting signs for a living because there's certain things you have to learn in order to make a sign, you know, and there are shortcuts you can take to make it go faster and, yeah. and do the same job. But it's interesting. You don't learn it. Um, when you start out, you learn it with. Be like, easier to learn, but slower way or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Then after this, now this is the one where even Alan himself admits he's gone down a rabbit hole and it's up to part five and it's not done yet. And it's drawing a maze in the cocoa. Um, in this case, he's picking a Pac-Man style maze. And I, I, I'll i just quickly quick click through them here. It's all the same thing. And he's going, trying different ideas. So what he wants to do is compress having a maze in a basic program to take less room. Because at first he goes through and does it with X's. So he makes data statements and then he's got some routines to interpret the X's, change it to a color. So it looks more like, you know, a colored maze type thing, hollow out the, the squares, et cetera. But it's a whole bunch of these data statements and every one of these X's takes a full byte. And since it's a one color maze, he wants to compress that down. And you can see the size of the maze here, how much the data statements are taking up to draw just the standard Pac-Man maze. So then he wants to start compressing it down and, and you know dealing with hex and see if that maybe shrinks stuff down and actually it doesn't and on and on. So then he goes, okay, well let's let's continue on here. 
So part two, he's figuring out, uh, you know, common block types here that you're, because of the semi-graphics on the Coco actually can define multiple pixels in one byte because it's basically a two by two grid and then there's an offset for the color. Um, so this one, he goes a bit more into the compression here of getting these block shapes compressed down instead of just the single X type thing uh, to get these kind of rounded corners and stuff here. Cause like every two by two pixels is a single byte value rather than the X, which is taking one block for one byte and kind of goes through his ex explorations in here. And he actually got it all working. It's a pretty big program to do all this, but he said it's, it's dog slow. That was his one big beef. So the whole process took over 40 seconds to draw trying to interpret that and he, he said even with double speed it still takes a fair bit of time so okay let's try something else so on part three um he's now trying to compress it even further so he's trying to represent it by bits instead of ascii characters or hex um so this is using a single bit to designate a block on or off uh, which is really compressing it quite well so he goes through and does all that uh working on the conversion for that he ends up using a routine using hex with fixed length two characters per byte because uh, normally if you do a hex string, if the value's 15 or less, it'll only give you a one character value and you want something more consistent. So he has to pad the leading zero in certain cases. And here he kind of goes through, you know, doing bit patterns and how they show up, you know, adding the bits together. It's just a simple binary if, you, if you've done that before. Those are a little tricky fun with the mid string here with the replacements, converting hex, etc. here. Then in part four... <laughs> Uh, he converts the original ASCII map data to the compressed hex-based version and creates deadlines for those so you can merge them into another program. So we saw it was like multiple screens of these data statements <clears throat> to represent the Pac-Man maze using the Xs. He has this program here that reads through and converts all this down. So when it does its conversion down, this is what that entire set of Xs now compresses to. So it saves a ton of program space. And the program actually has the option to save as an ASCII file. This chunks, so you can actually load it in and merge it with whatever actual program you want to run. So this is a little utility he wrote to do this. <clears throat> so now he's got it compressed to like really small. It's not taking much RAM at all. So you have more room for your game or whatever you're working on that requires this type of data. So now he goes on to five and starts trying to convert these bit flagged hexadecimal data statements back to the graphics which he goes through and he, he figures out how to expand it properly and get it to draw and everything else. And uh, by the time he's completely done here, and now like the code to decode, it's getting as big as the stuff he had the data statements for. So I don't know if at this point it's actually a loss. <laughs> we'll have to see how that goes the next one. But to do all the decompression here, 155 seconds to draw the screen, like two and a half minutes. So if you're playing his little basic Pac-Man game and you got onto the maze, you have to wait two and a half minutes for to draw the maze because it's trying to decompress in basic. And he goes, I think I'll have to use assembly for this. So he's uh, hinted at part six. So it looks like he's going to write an assembly language routine to do the interpretation of the graphics in this compressed format and then dump them to the screen. And that'll be way, way faster because it's just way easier to do that kind of thing in assembly anyway. You can manipulate bits and shift them up very easily where in basic you have to do like math and anding and dividing and all kinds of stuff because there's no shift command so you're doing a real floating point divide to like get a bit out of it which takes thousands of cycles versus you know an assembly language instruction can do in two so i'm imagining there'll be a very major speed increase on this next part by the way thanks to alan he's been delving into a lot of this basic stuff and he's done it the last couple of septandies um and he always finds some neat tricks or he in some cases like this goes down a rabbit hole where he spends 
days trying an experiment finds out it's actually worse than what he started with that he's trying to fix in the first place. So like color computer programming, it's kind of a learn as you go and you get to see Alan's thought processes and he kind of explains what he's thinking, what he's trying to do. And then what the result was, which isn't always good. <laughs> do you think Alan has nightmares? <laughs> About what? <laughs> Numbers. Being attacked by hex digits or something, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Character <laughs> strings. <laughs> or so, so I wonder if he considered RLE. Ah, that's what I was going to suggest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when when he, you was showing the maze, I'm thinking, you know, that would probably be good for like RLE or maybe exactly. even yeah. even even maybe even a bite for direction of the maze, like yeah. your RLE one direction. Then if you turn right, another bite bite or bit value to say you're turning right or left or something to compress the directions. Yeah, I mean, even standard RLE, we just say you know repeat this bite pattern thirty times. Yeah, because there's a lot of black spaces in here. I mean, it would even work for these little chunks what in here. What RLE stand for? Run length encoding. Okay. So that's that's a sim <laughs> very simple compression technique, and it, if you have data that changes a lot as you go across a horizontal line, it actually will make the file bigger. That's you have to kind of use it when it's appropriate. In this case here, basically what RLE does is basically it has a little flag that says, "Am I just going to draw a single character this next byte, or am I going to draw a sequence of that same character multiple times?" So in this case here, like the first two by two block, it has this little black bit out of the corner. So that would be a single byte. So it would say not compressed would be the first byte would be some value, say zero says not compressed. And the next value would be whatever the heck our character code is for this particular little chunk. So anything repeated is condensed. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one would say repeat 30 times. So instead of having a zero saying it's just not a repeat, you're just going to print the byte raw. You'd say uh, you have 30 comma character string, whatever this full blue is and it would actually draw i guess there's one over here so maybe 20 or something or 15 or 14 or whatever it is and it would just say you know draw it 14 times which you can do pretty fast and basic so well, yeah i agree know, early would probably work much better on this how do you know what, what position to have it start count well you know? always start in the upper left well i mean if you want to write some custom version you can but you usually start in the upper left and you just go now, if you have stuff that's very vertically oriented, like some of the chunks down here, you're not going to compress that much because it's usually like this byte's different than the next one is different than the next one. So you're taking two bytes, one to say, is it this next chunk compressed or not? And then the actual value when doing it just raw would only take one byte. So actually for this little chunk here, it'd actually be longer. But so you've got you're so looking many at it as a scan down. Yes. And going. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So in this case here, you'd save a ton on that. You'd save a ton on this black part in the middle because this chunk here and this chunk here would all get compressed into two bytes, basically. And this chunk down here, and this little chunk here and here. So it would, you'd have to kind of like figure it out. And like I said, you can do directional, you can even do vertical RLE, like you can actually do it or have something specifying a direction. I mean, since you've got a flag byte that's basically just saying, I'm repeating or I'm not, you can add some bits in there. Like if, let's say, if I got a value of three, it means go vertical or, you know, whatever else type thing, like David was mentioning. So there's some other techniques if you want to get a bit more advanced that you can do. Uh, but this was this was the way, like, uh, if you remember the old CompuServe PMode 4 graphics that they used to save, I can't remember, but they were actually called them RLE because that's exactly what it was doing. That's so what we were... I was about to mention. And even some of the PCX graphic images also used RLE in the background, but for each of the colors, there was a separate, each color was stored that way. All right, yeah. let me ask you this. Do you think they're doing this on the machines that make, uh, you know, the, the cocoa case or whatever you know where um 
you know, if you're doing a lot of repeating, you can just, you know, when they send the code over to the printer, does it do the same kind of thought where? You Are know, you talking all- about the G code that's used on 3D printers? Yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's basically it. Says you're going this this distance, these number yeah. of steps. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Wow. Well, the other thing is also looking at that screenshot you got there. There's two. The two halves are a mirror image. So you yeah, can so you can even compress them once and just have it know that it. I'm going to print this one first and this one I'm going to print backwards. Yeah. yeah. So you can have it then. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be a programmer. Yeah, you're thinking along the right lines, everyone. <laughs> now, modern compression, like if you're getting into zip and stuff, is much, much more complex where you're dealing with yeah. channel fan trees and all kinds of fancy stuff. So, And that's bit-level compression with uh, repeating backwards buffer pattern. I won't get into the details here, but basically it's a lot more sophisticated, but it's much more program-intensive and much slower. So, I mean, the 155 seconds that it's taken Alan to do this would be far worse if we tried to implement, say, zip in basic. That'd probably take like you know, hours <laughs> to draw well, this. Well, it's, it's neat that he went as far to show that instead of yeah. giving well, up. He's kind of like, he said, he thinks this is a good idea. I'll try that. And then he goes through it and he gets it working. And then he discovers it's so slow. It's like, nope, I wasted my time. It was faster before I even started this. So but then he goes sure off to another tangent. Yeah. He shows the mistakes. I mean, that's one of the reasons yeah. I like his, his, his blogs. Not a mistake, really. It's more of like he shows what he's learning. And that's what color computer programming does too. So those two channels, like I said, are really good for a raw tutorial of learning basic as you go and you get to see the mistakes of the same type of mistakes. I remember making myself still. So, do. so Nick. Yeah. Nick, so you, when you're programming a, a game now, um, your thoughts about doing the processing, the making the game, has it changed over the years from when you did like uh donut dilemma or, you know, Oh, nothing changes in my head. But <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Not really. Yeah. I'm, Don't you have I'm some pretty, uh, some shortcuts? Pretty well. You, you develop that sort of stuff as you go over time. I mean, but the majority of my my routines are are still pretty much the same as what I used to always do. Yeah, you kind of have built up a library, not quite a library in your case, but a library-like set of routines that you, you tweak, but you don't rewrite everything. Yeah, yeah. Scratch everything. So, some, some things. So, Nick, if you, if you took like two years off and came back and started programming again, you could do it? Well, I'm sort of doing that now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it does. it's like riding a bike. Like if you haven't done it in a while, you're a bit rusty when you first start. But unlike learning it the first time, you pick it up pretty quick. Okay, that's that's what I found. It's like I kind of got out of Cocoa programming for ten years too. And I mean, Nick took a bit, bit of a break, I think, after Gatecrasher before he came back, and kind of the same thing. I mean, you 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 kind of you go, ah, oh, I remember this, and then you kind of go straight ahead type thing. Okay, and, moving uh, on. <laughs> oh, just a, just a quick one. Uh, also, one thing to do is, depending on how much details on the image, it may be easier just to save the uh, the background as a separate file on the disk that you just load. Yeah. So it dep- depends on your image. It might just be quicker and easier just to draw it up because if you need to change it, you can just change that main image and it's the code is not changed at all. You don't have to spend time to redo the code. 
Yeah, and that's where you get into that speed versus size yeah, thing again. Yeah. Like so if you're trying to run a game in 4K, you probably want to do something like this. So it's like, well, yeah. yeah. It's like cheating. Yeah, you, you look for the cheat. Yeah. There's yeah. always a way to cheat some way. So you got to look for it depending on the situation. And yeah. everybody likes your game because you cheated well. Yeah, you know, I cheat a lot. <laughs> yeah. If you ever seen him on the game on challenge and his Photoshop skills, you know how much Nick cheats. <laughs> My scores are cheated. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think I get on here, so you can already hear some people are here. Um, so next one here, and I haven't checked the VCC uh, group actually too often in Facebook lately, but Michael Evan, yeah, Evanson, Evanson, I'm not sure I pronounced his last name, so my apologies. Uh, but he's released a floppy maintenance program from Windows that can handle OS9, Flex, Uniflex, and Minix, which I'm not super familiar with. That's just a mini Unix, isn't it? But I wasn't aware that was... Is that something that the Cocos used before? I don't recall it. Uh, file formats, as he points out here, I just finished implementing the functionality to copy an entire directory structure from your Windows PC to your OS9 floppy images using GoTech compatible only. I leave download to go to, and you can go to his site to download, which I'll show in a sec. Um, free. It's not a demo. It's fully working at this point. And having the ability to copy an entire directory at one shot is actually something image tool. And what's the other one that everybody uses? Uh, the OS9 .exe uh, program. Do not have that capability. You have to copy the files one at a time. So you have to go through like a script or compress them first and then uncompress them once you put them into OS9, which is what I've been doing. So actually, this this actually looks pretty promising. Unfortunately, it's just for Windows at this point. I don't know if he has any plans to expand that onto Linux or uh, OS 10 or something later, but that that looks pretty cool. I haven't had a chance to try it yet. I don't know if anybody else saw this and has had a chance to try it either, but it might be a pretty, pretty cool little utility grab. And if you want to get it, you can go here. Does now, that mean like you can take you can take an RS DOS? Um, uh, he doesn't mention RS DOS in here. That's the one thing I noticed. It's it's OS nine Flex, Uniflex, and Minix only at this point. Uh, so now, given that this is his page, you go download from. I can understand why SWTPC was a manufacturer of sixty eight hundred and sixty eight oh nine machines back in the late seventies, early eighties. So obviously, he's got a bias towards that type of thing, and that ran Flex, and it, the later versions of it ran OS nine. And this is all pre before the Cocoa did any of that. So he's he's been involved with the sixty eight OX chips and stuff from before the Cocoa, uh, and that's what he's kind of doing. He talks about you know the SWTPC emulators and stuff here. Uh, he mentions that you know six eight hundred and six eight oh nine Flex OS nine and Uniflex, etc. So. He seems to have uh, been in the industry for quite a while, or at least his interest is in the industry, you know, pre-Cocoa. So this would have been like, you know, I think, when did the 6800 come out? 74 or something? 75, somewhere in there? I don't know the year, but uh, 75, I think. Uh, he's obviously been involved with it for quite a while, and he's dealing with, you know, the SWTPC, which predates Tandy's, you know, that's around the Videotex time or the AgriVision time span, yeah. if not before. So anyway, it's a free download. You can feel free to get it. He's got some other utilities here too if you want to fiddle with some other things that he's done. He's got a generic 6800X assembler that apparently does 6800 and 6809. Uh, he's got terminal emulators for televideos and some Unix sources that he obviously has been converting over. Um, floppy maintenance utility for Linux. Um, complete setup, et cetera. So all free downloads. Give them a shot. Some of you hardcore tech heads in the audience there, either on the panel or in the chat, I'd love to one of you to give this a shot and then get back to us to see how it works um, and report back. Next up, we have Joe's Computer Museum. This is a live stream that they just did last night, and he's actually upgrading a Cocoa 3 to a 6309. And... Um, 
it worked first try. And he actually had gotten multiple six six through nines from two different vendors. So he actually goes through and swaps the chips and out because you know there's been some reports I've seen on Facebook and elsewhere that some people were not selling real six through nines. They're just remarked that way. And you know, you get the chip and either it doesn't work or it's totally different, or it's a six eight oh nine with the tops, you know, printing on it scraped off so you can't tell, et cetera. Uh, I think he went through four or five of them here and every single one of them worked fine. And then I was actually on the chat on the live stream for a bit. So I suggested some uh, programs to run to show it off. I was, he was planning on showing off ease of use actually, but he only has 128K. And ease of use, I mean, one of the reasons it's ease of use is because of the GUI. And that that definitely takes more than the 120K code. So he booted up Nitrous 9 itself. And I mean, it's just a text prompt shell. That's all you can really do. So it doesn't really show it off. But would so, it work on 256K? Yes. Okay. Yes, it would. <laughs> Yes, it would. So, at any rate, the six, the upgrade was successful. I did point out um, Xenion is a game that has been optimized for six or nine. So, he did play that for a bit, and he actually played the six or nine version afterwards to kind of compare the speed difference. And then there was a couple other six or nine things. I think like Russian Assault, he tried just to kind of get a feel for it. Uh, but now he's actually looking at getting an upgrade. Um, I think he was actually contacting Cloud Nine about getting the Triad or the Triad Plus for five twelve or a, a two meg. And Mark Marlin, if you're listening to this, please, please put on your website that your Triad Plus is actually available. The product's been out for, what, four or five years now, and it's still not on the website. So everybody I tell to go to Cloud9 to order a 2-meg upgrade until we get some other, you know, out there in, in, in bulk that we can actually buy. If you go to your site, it doesn't look like it exists at all. Um, and, I mean, just add add a little note on the Triad page saying there's a 2-meg version available as well or something. Because there's so many people that go there and go up. I don't see it. I, I guess you're wrong, Curtis. It doesn't exist anymore. And it does. You can still buy it. He was selling them at Cocoa Fest. So uh, please update your website. And uh, Mark Overholzer, I was going to ask you, um, has there been any further word on your version? Like you were going to start reproducing the Boomerang Plus? Um, yeah, I have some in process, but I'm waiting for them to be assembled completely. So yeah, it's been a long time, but they are. I have parts and pieces and they're being put together. You have an estimated time frame or is it still too early to tell? Not at the moment. I'm hoping to get an update here shortly. So okay, because I think I think Frank mentioned that he's kind of thinking of working on one two, or maybe has been working on. I'm not sure. So hopefully we'll have some you know alternate suppliers, just like we have Coco STCs now. And then I he, I've actually talked to to Joe a bit, and uh, once he does get an upgrade, whether he gets five twelve or he gets a two meg or whatever. Um, I'll, we're going to get in contact with the email and, you know, he'll have some questions for me on ease of use so you can show that off in the stream as well. So probably won't make up to Andy though. Next up, Jim Gary. Um, this is kind of a sequel to an earlier one where he did a, a Valentine's heart using sine and cosine and a bunch of complicated math draw it so that it takes longer and is like super complicated. Here he does the Batman logo. And he does it in the 64 by 48 pixel, which is reduces it to, I think, two or four colors on the MC-10. James Diffendaffer in the chat. He can correct me as to which one that is. Uh, so it gives you less color, but slightly higher resolution vertically. So you get square pixels instead of elongated ones, which Nick would like. Um, but you can see here, like it's using like square roots and, you know, multiplication and, you know, exponents and, all, and absolute values, all kinds of stuff here to make this as complicated as possible to draw a Batman logo. Um, but it looks pretty cool, so I thought I'd show it anyway. This is where Alan would just use data statements and be like, beep, and it's on. <laughs> but I don't know, how would you come up with the math to even do this? <laughs> like, this would be way, <laughs> I would not take the time to do this at all. I mean, he, this is converted 
uh, from another uh, programmer, I think, if I remember correctly, but wow. This is a symmetrical one, so I can just print half of it and just replicate yeah. the other half. Yeah, which actually he does do if you if you watch the drive. I think he, he does. does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think he does. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd be even slower. Yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, right, so another official Septandi one. Um, this one here is from Jamie's Hack Shack, showing some stuff that he picked up from VCF Midwest. Um, I don't know if any of the people in the panel here that were actually at. VCF Midwest, if you guys ran into Jamie, like uh, David Ladd, if you did. Might not be at the computer. There, he picked up a couple of things that actually are of interest here. I won't play uh, the whole thing. He's got some other things he picked up as well, but he picked up a Vectrix, uh, which is, of course, a 6809 based vector based uh, video game, home game, video game system, which is uh, kind of a cousin of the Cocoa, I guess. And he also picked up an MC10. So this is the first time he's qualified officially for Septandi. So let me fast forward a bit here. And now we begin the Septandi portion of the program. Now I have a confession to make. This is essentially the first Tandy I've had. Again, I know some people uh, hate this one, but I like to tinker with stuff and <laughs> I'm going to tinker with this one for a while. Maybe I'll keep it. Maybe I won't. Maybe this will be the uh, first step into uh, this whole. He should contact uh, Coco Jim Gary here. So when I was a little kid, I had my VIP-20, um, but my cousins up the road did have a Coco 2. I confirmed that on Facebook. And I do remember going up there and they had some cartridges and I believe they may have had a tape deck as well. But um, that was probably the majority of my Tandy experience. But like most of you, we did have a uh, Radio Shack, even in my little small town. And it was one of our favorite places to go mess around back in the- It's the church sell you a cell phone days of course your battery club card. maybe when they only try to get you in the battery club but uh that's been a long time since then i think they tried to uh, i do miss get that, that fire back going again yeah. with this commercial shows but i don't think they ever got back to that point what the 80s called they want their store back and they have a bunch of people from the 80s in that ad but anyway he goes through and kind of goes uh just kind of talking about the MC10 a little bit there. He hasn't really done much with it yet at this point. Um, but he just wanted to mention that he picked that up. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a follow-up video when he actually starts using it to see what he what he thinks. Next up in the Dragon group, we got a few Dragon stories related here. So um, Simon McElroy just picked up another Dragon to add to his collection. And there's some additional boards in here, um, which aren't too common from what I gather. One is the Dragon Data RGB1 board. So that's an, actually an official Dragon uh, display board. And it's, um, let me read my notes here. Somebody in the comments, because he was asking exactly what this was for. Um, and it looks like the RGB1 is an early CCAM RGB adapter before they integrated that feature on the board for the French versions of the Dragon motherboard. So that's what that was. And that's the little green board over here which I'll zoom up there. So you can kind of you can quite make it out here, but it says, uh, you know, by, by data, Dragon data. So this is actually officially by them. But it was basically an early version of the CCAM adapter to, to match the TVs in, in France at the time. And eventually they just redid the version of the motherboard that had that built in, so you didn't need the satellite board at all. So that one was kind of solved fairly quickly. And then this was kind of like a homebrew one that somebody... I put together and this people in the chat there kind of determined this is probably an internal RS232 port because the Dragon 32 
had a built-in parallel port, but not a serial port, whereas the Dragon 64 had both. So this kind of would bring your Dragon 32, aside from the RAM, you know, kind of up to Dragon 64 specs and give you an actual RS-232 card, similar to the RS-232 pack on the Coco, but internally, so it didn't take up your cartridge slot. So that was kind of cool. I mean, to, to buy one that has two rare boards in it, that was that was a pretty cool purchase on his his behalf. Next up, we have an announcement for another retro show that's taking place. Roy Templeman mentions that the Retrofest in Cambridge, um, this is the computer museum that they have in Cambridge. And this year we have a record number of exhibitors. So they announced that. And it's November 5th to 6th uh, in Cambridge in the United Kingdom. And uh, this is a, a cross-platform. It's basically a whole bunch. We've covered this, some of their stuff before. We've even had people live at the show. Now, I'm trying to remember the dates of the actual Dragon, because it's the 40th anniversary of Dragon, and there's a special Dragon show happening in the the home uh, city of where the Dragon data itself was. Back there, they're going to go drive by as part of the show, the actual plant where the Dragons were manufactured back in the day. Obviously, it's not anymore. But So I, I can't remember if it conflicts with that, because I think it's pretty close to the same time. So you know, people in the UK might be kind of torn as to which, which show they want to go to. But anyway, their official site right here, Kind of goes through, and they actually have a list of speakers and the cost to get in. And basically, it's the cost to get in the museum. It's it's not an extra charge on top of that. You pay the museum entry fee. There's a lot of hands-on displays. You get to play with the actual hardware of all these various kinds live. It's not just look at it behind glass. Obviously, some of the really old rare stuff is behind glass, but it's basically a hands-on event. And they've got a bunch of uh, different exhibitors listed here, including um, Tony Jewell, Here Be Dragons. Uh, so it's Attack of the Clones. Tony will be bringing a selection of his tier city machines and some less common tier city clones. Oh, and maybe a dragon, which isn't a clone of anything made by Tandy. Nope, nope. <laughs> so, I mean, honest, we, we've talked about this before. Basically, they're both off the uh, original Motorola reference design, so it's they're not really stealing. And honestly, the dragon has a way better keyboard. So, anyway, if you're in the UK yeah, at the beginning of November, that'd be a good show to take in, especially if you're into general retro computing not just the Dragon and Coco stuff. You can kind of catch it all in one show. It's kind of like VCF for the UK. And next up, we have Julian Brown, who's actually redesigning uh, a modern take of the motherboard, kind of like Pedro's done on the Coco 1, 2, and 3 boards that he's been kind of like making modern representations of that you could print out. So he's basically got the, the design done for the Dragon 32. Um... But now he's asking, like, you know, should we be doing some changes on here since we, you know, are kind of going to be starting to manufacture these, hopefully, uh, new? Like, is there any things that we need to do that, you know, should have been done or would make things easier? And there's been multiple suggestions coming in. One that's actually been coming up fairly often, which kind of surprised me, is that a lot of people want two-button joystick support on the Dragon because the DIN connector had the extra pin. You can wire it into the PIA just like the Coco 3 did. And honestly, you could do this on a Coco 1 or 2 as well. And because there's some Coco 1 and 2 software that was designed after the Coco 3 came out that actually already supports a two-button joystick, you would actually be able to just run those. Like Russian Assault by DICOM is one. It's a Coco 1 and 2 game, but it actually was has the check. And, it, and when you run it, it'll actually ask you, do you have a two-button joystick? And you, you can't normally on a Coco 1 or 2, or on Dragon for that matter. But because it was written with the Coco 3 in mind, it actually just said the standard you're reading the PIA to read the second button. Well, if he builds this into this new Dragon board and they start manufacturing it new, then you might have two-button support built right in. Basic can already read it with a peak, same as it does a one-button, so your basic programs can support it. Some of the games, like I said, already have the support for the second button. 
So I think that's a good idea. And there's a bunch of other suggestions, but if you guys have any uh, suggestions you want to make for a reproduction of the motherboard of the Dragon, but with some added features, uh, hit the Dragon 3264 group on Facebook and just comment on his post. And um, we'll see what all gets in, in integrated into it. He sounds like he's going to do the two button for sure. There's a couple of things he's talking about that a few people have mentioned too as well. I won't go through all those. You guys can join in the conversation there. And that's the end of the regular news. And I've just got a few on the game news and I'm going to have to go. I, hopefully the banging downstairs is not coming through on the mic. We can play it off as a beat. <laughs> Add window up, share the screen. Are they making you some coffee? Oh, I made coffee way before. <laughs> I don't. I don't live without coffee. That's that. I almost make coffee before I'm awake. <laughs> actually, with the timer, sometimes I actually do do that. Do okay, it. so for the game on news. I don't have a ton here. Um, the first one, and I'll just mute. Well, I'll play it a little bit first here. Uh, but basically, it's the next episode of the Coco Show, which is covering Shock Trooper, which is one of my favorite Coco One and Two games. It's got great graphics. It's got one of the better musical soundtracks. It doesn't sound like the standard organ music. It's actually got some. Um, vibrato and stuff in it, so it's a bit more sophisticated. It it it, it plays off the VTV show, combining it with some stuff from like uh, Tutankhamen arcade style game with a science fiction twist on it. One of my favorites. I don't. I'm assuming most people here played it. We've had it on the game on channel before. This week, we are looking at Shock Trooper. So anyway, it's, it's a good review of the game. They they quite liked it, too. Um, like what I said, it's one of my favorites. What year is this game? 80... 85, the screen Five, says. I think. Yeah. It was after Tut's Tomb by the same author, which actually used some of the same engine for the graphics part anyway, which was in 84. So, But yeah, if, if you remember the old VTV show, it's definitely based on that. Um, it's funny because some of the younger people on the Amigos Discord have never heard of the VTV show. They have no idea what it is. And I mean, for some of us that grew up during that time, that was like a, a must-watch show almost type of thing. It was like an event. It was kind of like Lost was later, years later type thing. Indeed. And they even tried to do a remake of it too. Oh, Sadly, I never saw only that. One, yeah, there was, it was only one season, which was a bummer. Was, was it Phil? any good? Like, I, I didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, it was filmed here in Vancouver. I liked it. Um, but like I said, it only lasted one season. It, it ended at a, a, a point where you was expecting another season and you just never got it. What's the end? So many the shows. What is, sorry, I got two questions there. What? What's the MD stand for? Mark data products. Mark oh. data. And was Mark Overholzer, you had a question? Comment? Nope, I didn't. Oh, okay. So I just made a comment that, uh, yeah, it ended like so many other shows on a cliffhanger. (laughs) Yeah, that sucks. I hate that. At least Continuum ended. They should at least allow, like, pay for one more episode just to wrap things up. That's what they should be doing. This game, yeah, it always had the problem where the the character's floating on the air, on air, but he never actually steps down. Well, he's either in a space with anti-gravity boots. It's, it's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> but they're weak. In, they can't take you up too high. 
<laughs> invisible high heels. <laughs> no, they're just white. That's all. He's got a white sole. They're they're uh, platform shoes from the seventies. Yeah, it's his Kiss Army combat boots. You know, type thing. Spaceman in drag. <laughs> it, it's it's a really good game, though. I mean, there's a lot of things to do, and you're rescuing you know the other astronauts and stuff, and you know collecting pieces just like Tut's Tomb did every four screens or whatever it is. And you got some robots you can destroy. Some you can only push with your gun. You can just ward them off, but you can't kill them. So you kind of force them away from you so you can get around them or you force them to go down through that little chute in the bottom. What's Um, in the wall right there? Blinking. That's a sensor thing. And you have to trip those by walking beside them to unlock parts of the game where you can actually go between the levels so that you actually have to do that. You don't have to press a button or anything. It's automatic when you walk by. But if you don't, you can't can't finish the level. Um, Then you got radiation in your suit. Every time you fire and hold down your gun, it takes some more radiation. And if you hold it down too long, it's like a flame floor. Like you can actually extend it across the screen. Um, you can also turn that inviso thing, but that also sucks your radiation like crazy too. That's even worse than your gun, but it means you can't get hit. And you got these little, um, I don't know what you call these little machines with the two bubbles with the lighting between them. But basically every time you throw one of those, one of those force fields disappears. They're force field generators. Yeah. Thank you. So here's something I'm not familiar with. Is he doing something to force the, like, the graphics are really, really nice. Yes. Is he doing something to force the blue into the, like, characters so that you don't get color fringing and you've just got blue and blue? He, he's one of the guys, like Donkey King did, where he's designed the game both as P-Mode 4 regular and P-Mode 4 artifacting. Like, he does some, the color's done using the standard, you know, every two pixel or two bits type thing is is a color quote unquote but he's also drawn a lot of the graphics to be single pixel like a raw p mode 4 if you're running an rgb monitor and he kind of has really tweaked the graphic drawing to kind of cover both so he's getting artifact colors but he's actually getting a full 256 horizontal resolution on most of it at the same time whereas most of you just do a pure artifact you basically are only getting 128 controllable pixels and he's kind of combining the the two techniques so the the text only errors one way you don't end up with all of the colors all mixed in with your... Yeah, as long as you do it on every two bits, you can keep the colors consistent. But he, I mean, that takes a bit of designing to actually get the graphics to work properly. Wait, Eric has done a few things like this too. He's really good at doing this kind of thing. But everything works. The little wavy lines in the that, you know, yeah. everything is fixed. No, it's it's honestly for a Coco 1 and 2 game, this is one of the best present. In fact, Bode even said himself, this is the game that he thinks reminds him the most of the Apple II graphic games using artifact colors because it doesn't look as blocky. Like some of the ones on the Coco are basically just, you, you take P-Mode 3 and you just set the VDG to output P-Mode 4 and you get 128 by 192 for color. Um, but this is actually treating it partly as a 256 two color, black and white as well as treating the artifact colors kind of combining to you know, Sailor Man does this, Donkey King does this, Shock Trooper, Tut's Tomb. There's, there's a fair number of games that do, but there's quite a few others that don't, that just, you know, treat it as a P-1-3 with, you know, half the horizontal resolution. And out of the ones that do do this co- sort of combined technique of, of pure two-color as well as artifacting, I think this is one of the most visually impressive ones. Like, it, he did a really good job designing this one, even better than he did in Tut's Tomb. He's made good use of the artifact colors, yeah. Yeah, and it's not an easy game, but uh, once you learn that invisible thing, like that saves your butt a lot. <laughs> um, it was it was fun too. Like I, I I can't remember who did it, probably Buck Owens, but there was somebody that actually wrapped it during our, our game on challenge of it a year or two ago. So 
once once you learn all the tips and tricks and techniques and get pretty good at it, you can actually get pretty far along. I think there's 16 screens, if I remember. And then it wraps and gets harder. Anyway, a full review you can get uh, on the show. They've also announced that Interbank Incidents next game. I know Alan Murphy has already submitted his review on their Discord. I don't know if I'm going to have time to do it this week. Um, Those are Tesla coils. <laughs> could be. That's what they are. Anyway, really good game. Go check it out if you haven't tried it before. Next up, this is a follow-up. So um, Aaron of Vintage Geek. So he released a Septandi video of the Coco 3 before where he's got the RGB monitor and stuff now and he's, he's kind of booted up and tried a few things. So this one, he actually does some games. He's actually got 512K installed now. Installed now. So he does some disc games. And I think he did one cartridge game and he did stuff that was all from Tandy. So he plays, I think, King's Quest 3. Well, I can just play. I'll play the little intro here, but I'll kind of skim ahead a bit. In our last video, we talked a lot about the Color Computer 3 in honor of Septandi, and we got to play with some of the peripherals and different functions, but we really didn't have a chance to play any games. So I wanted to take some time today to play some of the games for the Color Computer 3. 128K or 512. Although this game has exciting educational value, you should never attempt to treat yourself or anyone else by relying on the information in this game. <laughs> this, this is a hard game. I, has anybody here played Microscopic Mission? And if you have, uh, have any of you ever saved a patient? No. <sighs> I've died no. in various places. I've come close, but yeah, I haven't done it either. The hard part is when you have to shut the heart down to get into the heart. And then you have like two minutes before the patient dies or whatever it is. Around so you have to like drive perfectly and then you'll zap whatever you have to fix. And then you have to get out of the heart and start it back up again. That's what usually gets me. I can usually get to where the damage is, but that heart thing really screws me up. So this is one I'd like to see Buck Owens tackle and see if he can win it. And Ken, I don't know if this would make a good one to put in the uh, game on challenge or not. What do you think? I've it's actually never tried it, but... Uh... We'll, I'll take a look have, at it. Do you have to have a 512? Nope. This one will run on 128K. If you booted up the raw floppy. No, go ahead. Anyway, it, he's, he reviews a few games in there, like I mentioned. Uh, they're all Tandy games. So he hasn't tried any of the, the newer third-party or freeware or the stuff that's you know way more advanced has been done since. So uh, hopefully he gets a chance to try those too. But he did try some pretty decent ones. I mean, Microscopic Mission's kind of a cool one. It looks really visually impressive. Um, I think he played Shanghai, which he really liked. King's Quest Three, which I mean, it looks like the Tandy One Thousand version. So I mean, you know, graphically that one matches, if if not slightly better. Sound wise, not quite as good, but he, he covered a pretty good wide gamut, and he's playing like a variety of games, not just arcade games. So next up after that, uh, Mr. Dave Six or Nine. So he says his Space Pirate Kimiko, which he. Has been showed off of this is one of the Patreon supporters of him. And it's Bapster Arcade. I think he's in the UK. Yeah, he's in the UK. And he reviews a bunch of retro things. So he's, you know, in this particular video, he's reviewing some Spectrum stuff and Amiga stuff and Atari 2600 stuff and a bunch of things. And he actually does a very uh, brief review of, of the game from Dave. So I'll just play that little clip. But if you're interested in general retro, definitely check out the rest of his, his video as well. So a while back, I supported a Kickstarter for a game called Space Pirate. Kamiko.
and this has been made by um, a Mr. Dave 6309 and it's basically an 8-bit um, action-adventure shooter game um, it came on a micro SD card micro SD card this little... Anyway, I'll let you guys go watch that video there. Yeah, there's some you know gameplay footage and stuff there to kind of show you what the game is about. And then, of course, you see the little 3D printed rocket that Dave supplied with it as well, which I had not seen before, which is really cool. And uh, I know Dave's still waiting for some hardware to come out uh, with the uh, the sound edition card that he's going to be doing to really hype up the effects on the game. So, And Dave's in the chat, so if you have any questions about the game, feel free to hit him up. Ah, Ken, you want to say what you're talking about here? I'll just mute it. <laughs> okay, we can't well, understand you. <laughs> <laughs> so I just did a quick video of uh, five games that if you have been away from the color computer or have never tried the color computer, these are my suggestions to take a look at to really make you say, wow, I didn't know that it could do that. Now, um, you picked all transcode they're games. They're all the transcode games, yeah. But, I mean, I think, personally, I think those are the most impressive games we have right now. So, that's why I did that. Not yeah. necessarily my favorite games on the color computer, just the ones that are going to make people go, you know, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I there are some really good games that are not transcodes, too, there are. That I, there which are. I would rank up here. But I think the fact that a Coco 3 and 8-bit machine from 1986 can emulate an arcade this. game as close as MAME does. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That's kind of the thing I was going for to make people be a little more interested in the color computer, maybe grab a few people into the community. You know, if you go to the beginning there where those circles are going around, that's the uh, Motorola logo upside down. Yeah. And Williams Electronics that did most of the ones that are transcoded here. Um, there's there's 6809 based arcade games. I mean, that's what they're using internally. Uh, now, before I go on on to the next one, I've only got a couple left here, and then I have to go. Um, Ken, there was some talk. Like I know Glenn Hewlett, you know, he stopped doing Robotron because he's just kind of getting burned out on it, and he figures yeah. he's ninety five percent done or whatever because he said there's some slowdown glitches that he couldn't fix, et cetera. You since discovered from talking to people that that actually is probably accurate. Yeah, and actually at VCF Midwest, I actually talked to some people that uh, were involved in part with the original arcade cabinet and. I would say this game is actually more like 99% done because they had the same problem with uh, slowdown and every now and then uh, a couple of the glitches where things don't completely disappear happened on the arcade cabinet too. So so Glenn actually might be literally done. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, this was something, it was in, quite an interesting story talking to a guy about how actually when they released this game, they actually... Um, when they released Robotron, they actually, uh, the arcade cabinet was at the show to be unveiled and it had no ROM in it. And they were hand coding the ROM and rushing it over and plugging it in just as the curtains were opening to <laughs> review it because they were having trouble with things like the slowdowns and talk about whatnot. just in time. Yep. That sounds a lot like the original iPhone presentation. Some of the engineers afterwards here were. We're saying like this is this is being held together by like shoestrings. Yep. Like all okay. the stuff had not been run together before each you know you know little 
engineering team that did different parts were all going like, this is going to crash, this is going to crash. And I guess some of you had flasks of booze and every time something worked, they take a swig and they were expecting not to be able to drink that much, but actually a few of them got pretty drunk because they actually did make it to the presentation. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the Amiga was the same. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I would I would definitely say that Robotron is 99% done. I mean, it's I think the actual game part of it is done pretty much and uh it's just the title screen and the um uh high scores and stuff that need to be finished. Yeah. By I'm the sounds of Maybe given that we can encourage Glenn to just finish it cuz I know he passed the code off to me and I haven't had time to even really look at it all that much yet. Because I was going to take a, a stab at it, but I've also got you know Petsky and Nitrous Nine version one and a bunch of other things I'm trying to get done at the same time. So mm-hmm. if he finds out that all the stuff he was spent so much time trying to hunt down to fix is actually part of the original game's problem, then maybe he'll have some incentive just to finish the rest because it looks like he actually did everything right. Yeah, because uh, so. that's I mean a lot of people have commented on my videos that I've done about it that yeah. All those slowdowns and things happened in the arcade machine too. So yeah, and you actually got it from the horse's mouth. You talked to some of the developers yourself. So well, they weren't developers. These were people that were involved in Large actually. Thing? Well, uh, they're around with the developers. They've uh, had to do with uh, you know putting the machine together and stuff. They weren't the actual coders and stuff. But okay, but but definitely involved at the time it was coming. Yeah. Out, I think. They would have firsthand knowledge then because they helped assemble it and probably test. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, dude, good stuff in there. There's a few 6.09 based games. There's a couple Z slash Z80 based games there, like Pac Man and, and Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong, of course, is the one that started the whole transcode movement when Sockmaster yeah. did that. And if you go and look at the original uh, video that Sockmaster did when he first released Donkey Kong, the Coco 3. The accusations that he cheated and this was all done in May, and he's just faking it running on a cocoa in the comments was <laughs> hilarious. And a few of them actually was he like, you know, Sock said basically, here, download it, try it yourself, put it on a real cocoa. And um, a few actually, you know, they ate their they ate crow. They they said, Yeah, you're right. This is amazing. And then a few others wouldn't try it because they said it's it's fake and I don't want to waste my time trying it. And they never did believe it, <laughs> which is just insane. And next up, we got some uh, two Jim Gary ones. I'll kind of round out, the, round out the games thing. So the first one here is a port of a 1976 game. So this is early on called Hexapon, originally written by R.A. Kapke. Um, it's a chess-style game used to demonstrate some simple artificial intelligence concepts. And it was originally published in uh, Dave All's Compendium of Basic Programmers. And you guys may remember that name, I'm, if I'm pronouncing it right. <laughs> which I don't even know, but he was the original publisher of Creative Computing Magazine, which is actually the very first uh, computer magazine I ever saw. Anyway, watching chess is like watching paint dry, so I'll just fast forward a little bit here. And it's not quite chess, but basically it's a, it's a very, very early AI-style computer, you know, learning the pot of play as it goes. And then the second one he did... Uh, it's actually a little, it's two two little programs in one, one called Time Spiral, the other was called Maze of Doom, written by R. Guardo and Susan Zacker in 1984. Once again, I, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing the names here. And these were originally published in a book by Parachute Press called The Marvel Superheroes Computer Fun Book, which is not one I've seen before. Um, Ken, I know you collected some of the old uh, books that used to be, have tie-ins with computers and type-in listings. Is this one you've ever heard of? Not one I've heard of, nope. 
So the first one, this time spiral is actually not a game. It's more just an effect, uh, a sort of an animated low res demo type thing. And then the second one is a very simple text adventure style game, but not actually using like keywords like we're used to. It just has like, you know, here's menu options. Do you want to type one to go north or two to go south or type thing? So I'll just briefly show those. Uh, so this is a spiral thing. And I, I must have tied in with something in the book at some point. I'm not sure what. But basically just a repeating pattern with sometimes with ASCII characters, sometimes with graphics blocks. So anyway, repeat that multiple times. And this is the little uh, maze of doom. And it's basically, there's no graphical representation of the maze at all. You just try to walk a direction and you'll have to keep track on paper, like when you hit walls to figure out how to get out of the maze. So very, very primitive programs. I don't know if everything in that book was like that. Um, I mean, they're not very long to type in. I guess that's probably the one advantage. Um, they're not the greatest games in the world, I'll be bluntly honest. Um, but having a, a Marvel Comics tie-in, especially considering how huge Marvel is now with the MCU, you know, movie series and TV series and stuff, and then you're being on Disney Plus here. I mean, this is the start of their getting involved with the computer revolution in the early 80s, and it's uh, they've come a long way. <laughs> this is This is pretty sad. All right, that's all I have this week. I'm expecting a flurry of Septandi stuff to come in the next week uh, since Septandi's cutoff is midnight Friday night, right before we go on the air the following morning. So, or afternoon, depending on your time zone. Um, and I have to go. So uh, thanks for putting up with my snoozy newsy and hopefully all of you got a really nice rest and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs> Right. Bye. Later, Curtis. Yep. Bye. See you guys well later. Done. I'll see if I can. I'll, I'll pop in and watch it later if I can, but uh, if not, I'll catch it on the rerun. And you can laugh at us later. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you say we take a commercial break? Yes. 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 You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original colored computer, the Coco 3, and the world renowned exclusive French computer. Radio Shack. Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Boat and Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Brian Walsh, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant B., Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jay Style, Ken Reichert, Malfunct, Melly, Michael Pitsley, Mike Rayburn, OG Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Gaff says, Hi, I'm Ryan. 
I've been into retro computers for many years and am part of Randy Kendig's Indie Area Club. I've listened to the show for a while but have little personal experience with Cocos. I bought the Blue Tape Coco 3 at VCFMW last week and hope to learn more and get help with it through the community. Thanks. Cheshire Noir says. Hi everyone. West Australian Retro Collector here. Got my first Coco, a PAL Coco 2 about 5 weeks ago. Got most of the missing chips for it on the weekend. Just discovered I'm still missing a single chip, which I've ordered. Long-term plans is to do either an S-Video or a YUV mod to it. Got here from the Facebook group. My personal blog on my retro collecting is at www.ilike8bits.com, although I need to update it a bit. I mostly collect 8 and 16-bit systems. Kiva says. Hi, my name is Lynn. So I am a programmer, and I first got introduced to Tandys via a YouTuber, LGR, Lazy Game Reviews. In the process of making an MUD, a multi-user dungeon, and I thought it would be neat to play it on an older computer. I mentioned older computers to my dad, and he said he had a Coco 2, so I recently purchased one. It hasn't arrived yet so I have just been playing around with an emulator and having fun typing up programs. So that's how I discovered the Coco 2. Half Elf says. Hey there. I'm James Stoneburner, and I've been involved with retro computers since they weren't retro, as I had a Coco 2 when I was a kid. I've always been deeply invested in Tandy Radio Shack stuff, since my dad was a repair manager for them for almost 30 years, back when they had repair centers. I'm an embedded engineer who does hardware, firmware, and software. I currently have a Coco 2, performing full rebuild and restoration, a VIC-20, and an Atari 800, amongst other retro computers. I'm mainly looking to connect with other fellow retro computer nerds. Z Dane says. Hi, I'm David, and I'm a long-absent Coco enthusiast, poking my nose back in to see what's going on. I grew up with a 64K Coco 2. As an adult, I got myself a Coco 3 with 512K, disc, monitor and went to town, assembly was fun, and I got quite a few interesting things working, but never quite. Finished anything, I like playing with 6X09 assembly, and wouldn't mind getting back involved in things. Might as well see where the tool chain is at nowadays. I also have a friend who's interested in working with hardware, so we'll see what happens. Super Genji says. Good evening all. Jason here, I go by Super Genji. I've been a computer enthusiast my whole life starting with an NEC multi-speed 286 laptop I got from my uncle in middle school that I used to dial up BBSs and play door games. However some of my best memories are playing Double Back and Don Pan on a Coco 2 I received in the 90s from the same uncle. I loved going to the bookstore as a kid and buying program your own game books that listed code for basic back in the day. The previous bios were edited for time, thanks to, Grandaldian, Boys in Tech, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Nightbeard, Glenside Computer Club and the Coco Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord! Coming this October to the Coco Talk Game On Challenge. One, two, robots coming for you. Three, four, they enter through the door. Five, six, hear their ominous clicks. Seven, eight, it's a terrible fate. Nine, ten, here's a nightmare again. <laughs>
Okay. That was interesting. Okay, project updates and acquisitions. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's see. First up, Brian, I think you've got something. It's a three-hour show. <laughs> I'm going to save the thing for uh, David Ladd there towards the end here, so uh, you, have to, you have to bear with me here. So, um, just a, uh, I've been a while since I've been on. I have a few things I'd like to, to kind of share. People might find kind of interesting. Um, Comes a six-hour show. Here comes a six-hour show. <laughs> uh, David Bell uh, was uh, uh, made this available, and uh, no one seemed to be too interested on it. So I, I reached out to him and uh, picked it up. This uh, JMN controller um, is in really nice shape. It's very clean. Um, it uh, right now it just has a, a RS DOS in it. So, but it does have the open port, and it does have the uh, the switch in there. So, if you were to put a, a another type of um, a DOS on it, you could uh, boot up to it. So yeah, it was nice, nice clean one. Has has a parallel port on it? Does it? Have, yes, it does. Okay, I'm side. Oh, yep. that's yep. the good one. Oh yep. yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> good thing Jason's not here. He's not going to get here for that toggle switch. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then uh, from a uh, award-winning company out there called uh, Computer Connect, I. Uh, Got myself a Nick card there, uh, ones that uh, Mr. Rick Uland is making. So, oh, cool. So, I look forward to playing with that. So, and uh, he uh, includes some really nice, uh, nice documentation with uh, things that explain there. So, yeah, good job, Rick. Look Thanks. forward to playing with it. The, the award winning was right, wasn't it? Was that part right? Well, you have to make one up, but okay, <laughs> in, in the mail. <laughs> and then something I I actually kind of forgot about, and then all of a sudden this showed up in the mail. I ordered this almost a year ago, but because of parts, I ordered some things from uh, Retro Innovations, and uh, finally got my uh, my Coco Flash. Been wanting to wanted to get one of those. Right. I've always wanted to kind of play with it, so got that. Um, and then something you guys might have seen me post on Facebook. Um, trying to do. Uh, some education on it a little bit there because it's a uh, ham radio is something I've always kind of been interested in, but never really got into. I have some friends are uh, that are, um, but this was in with a lot um, that I picked up. It's called Hamsoft, And from what I understand, uh, this little connector here, um, it was made by a company called, uh, it's not Kentronics, it's Cantronics. And there was a uh, interface called the Cantronics interface, and this would plug into the back of it there. And then this would, uh, through the software, then this was, was menu-driven off of this ROM, from what I understand, um, would allow you to go out of the, the ham radio and uh, and communicate. So I, I'm keeping my eyes open for a Cantronics interface. I've put a couple uh, inquiries out there and uh, looking for one, but uh, we'll see. I might be able to do a demo of this thing or sometime. Will it do WeFax? <laughs> I don't know if it's going to do WeFax or not. <laughs> Everybody drink. <laughs> and then Love something I wanted to something I wanted to play with a little bit here because you know we always see the posts on Facebook um, about folks trying to get good video quality um, out of their uh, their Cocos. You know when they like they have a Coco two and all they have is the RF jack on the back. And uh, you know we always give them little tips and pointers. You know of uh, you know using a coax cable and things and. Uh, Something that's been around for a while is uh, people will uh, take the uh, uh, the output 
and go into a VCR um, and then take the uh, composite uh, out from there and connect that into a monitor. Um, and I came across a video. This isn't anything new, but I've just wanted to try it out myself. But in this video, uh, the guy used this thing here, used something like this here, where it has uh, the composite and uh, the audio on this side, and then it has SCART. And then he goes to a SCART to HDMI line doubler. And at least with the system he had, it looked really good quality output. So um, I already have the the, uh, the SCART to HDMI. Um, you know, for those of you that have the um, um, Jason's product there for uh, 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 for the switcheroo, the switcheroo. Um, uh, I already got everything, so really I just have to add this to the mix. So uh, I'm going to give it a go. Um, I'm also well. I'm going to not use the VCR. I'm going to use uh, something similar to what uh, Ken used, where he had a little um, uh, cable TV converter, cable box. Yeah. Yep, cable box, and so. Uh, I'm going to go that route there. I haven't a chance to hook it up, but uh, it's kind of a series of components, but I'm kind of curious to see what quality um, I'll actually get out of that. And the cable box takes up much less room than the VCR. (laughs) Yes. Yep. I I found one and uh, yeah, it's maybe a little bit bigger than the one that you have uh, that you demonstrated in your video, but uh, be kind of curious uh, to see how that all works. Um, A couple other things I want to show is uh, some joysticks. Um, I've been on the lookout for this one for a couple of years and I would post out on Facebook and, <laughs> and for obvious reasons here, when I show it, um, I would get a lot of interesting, I'll use that word, interesting comments, um, on the picture. Uh, but, uh, Wyco, everybody knows about the Wyco trackball, but they also made a joystick for the color computer called the, uh, uh color computer it was uh, the commander. And, uh, it looks like this. And I've always wanted to get one. Right. Um, and so uh, it's kind of different. It has a little brown bottom there and stuff like that. And has the uh, the connector. So uh, It has switches on the bottom? It does have the switches on the bottom. And uh, that you can, it, you know, make it free-floating and everything. So, yep. So it's an analog joystick. Yep. Yeah, maybe like your deluxe joystick there. All self, right. Yep. Self-centering and everything. So, yeah. Hmm, cool. So I wanted, yeah, that'd to, be good. I wanted to get one of those. And then, not at the last Coco Fest, because I was unable to go this year, but uh, the year before, um, this was actually out in the auction. I'd never seen it before. There's a company out there called CH Products, and uh, they made two different uh, joysticks. And this one was actually on the auction, and no one no one really bid against me. So either no one was interested in the joystick or whatever, but uh, it was this guy here. Um, it's also a self-centering uh, joystick. They made him for the Apple also. Yes. I have one. Yep. And uh, it has the little adjustments here and the switches to make it free-floating as well. Um, right. What I thought was kind of interesting is the, is the brown cable. A lot of times they're black, you know. <laughs> but I don't know. It just kind of intrigued me, um, uh, the brown cable. And it has the also a center fire button here as well. So I was kind of happy to get that. And it came with uh, – it actually came with the documentation. And, and when I read it, it talked about – another joystick. And so I did a little searching on uh, the archive uh, in Rainbow and I found an ad and um, I didn't have to search very hard. It took me maybe three or four months and I was able to pick up their other joystick that they make as well. And this one's more of a kind of a flight stick sort of looking one, but it was, they made two different ones. CH products did for the, for the Coco. So, but this one has no adjustments on it other than um, you can adjust the, the centering right here. 
Uh, two no, fire buttons, though, right? Yeah, there is two fire buttons. There's a trigger, and then there's this one up on top here for your thumb that you could use like this. So, yeah. So I was kind of excited to uh, to find those two. Um, yeah, and they weren't yellow. And they weren't yellow, no. <laughs> they looked really nice. Um, let's hear two more things here. Um, I do want to order uh, uh, Rick's keyboards uh, replacements, but um, Mike Rojas was making uh, the replacement. So I picked up a Color Computer 2 and a Color Computer 3 keyboard replacement that Mike was making. So I also want to get one of Rick's as well, because I do have a number of different uh, keyboards that uh, that don't work. So I thought I'd try try out a couple of the different uh, ones that are out there and, uh, you know, support people's efforts. So they're really nice. So I look forward to uh, Rick. You'll be seeing an order coming for me on, uh, on one of those as well. And then uh, lastly, and uh, David Ladd, are you listening? Uh Oh, so there's a, uh, (laughs) there's a video or not a video, but a little, a little short little video clip where, uh, that we've been playing for years here about uh, David Ladd wanting to plug in like eight different things, right? To the, uh, to the color uh-huh. computer. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, this is going to be one of those rare multi-packs that's six <laughs> or eight slots, isn't it? There was one, a company uh, out there, uh, uh, PBJ uh, made one. And uh, I think there are a couple different ones, but this is a five slot. Ooh, uh, that's multi- an interesting <laughs> idea. Five. So and it um it do, it can run off the twelve volts of the I, of the color I count computer. Six. But, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, six. Yep, six. You're correct. Six. Yep. I'm I'm sorry. Yep. I, I I didn't do so well in kindergarten, but uh anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad for peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> That's right. Um, but uh it's also designed to work with a power pack. So this didn't come with it. I had to go uh, buy this and put my own connector on it. So you can give it uh, give it the twelve volts that it needs, and it has a little regulator inside. Um, Big regulator inside. So and it uh, it plugs in this way. It doesn't go directly. You just have to kind of reach in there and plug that in. And then, uh, uh, where you plug part, it into a multi pack? No, you plug it into the Coco. You have to you have to open up the little uh, the little door. Well, you could you have, plug it into the multi pack, couldn't you? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you would say you'd have ten <laughs> sockets. I, I think have, you I better have, try it. I did find mine like that. He did. Okay, good. It has a fake like uh, cartridge ROM pack game over that weird connector. Oh, to make it easier to plug in and out. Make it just make more sense how it plugs mm-hmm. in and everything. I yep. guess. But yeah, it's the same rig. It just has a. It's just housed in a ROM pack game. On Do you think game. yours is missing? Um, I don't know if it is or not, uh, because, uh, didn't you have like, there's like five versions of them you said, well, there is a couple oh. different versions of it. Um, okay. there is this one here that I haven't quite figured out how it all works yet. There, a, a guy uh, was selling some things and he said, uh, would you be interested in this? Now it doesn't have the cover on it, but it looks very, very similar to this one. And you can see here, this one only has three connectors on it, but you can see where there's a spot right here for um it's kind of in rough shape here the little knobs are missing off so it doesn't stay stay attached very well um and the power adapter is directly connected in but what's kind of unusual about this one is uh is the connector right there of how it plugs in Ooh, how would you so do? 
you'd have to use some kind of a ribbon cable with an edge card connector on both ends there. So uh, to plug that in, because obviously there's not enough length there to go directly into the cocoa, you know, unless you add the motherboard out. But uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, uh, this one I have this one I have played with. Um, I've had a couple different uh, uh, packs in there. Um, you I know what that it. would be good for a repack. It could be. Yep. Now, of course, you have to call things up by uh, um, by poking the addresses. You know, of course, certain things work. You know, um, like if you have the floppy drive in one, you could have the Cocoa SDC in another. Uh, that just works that way without having to have any because there is no switches on this at all. So it's not like it's a uh, it's port selectable. Have you, have you tried it, it already? Yeah, I've used this one. Have yep. you? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I'm assuming it's using the standard multi pack address to select the slots. Yes. Yep. Yeah. The documentation's actually out there on the archive. Um, I happen to have a couple different versions of it. On the archive is Rev C of the of the manual. I have a Rev uh, B and a Rev E. I think. Um, I haven't really looked at them very closely to see what the differences are. Um, I do want to get this uh, scanned and put the different revs out there just in case. But uh, no. Yeah. What does the Coco have for addressing? Does it have all six? As spots to shift. Um, to? I haven't looked at the documentation that closely. I only ran it with a um, with a with a floppy drive controller and a Cocoa SDC in it. Okay. Which those those just work uh, work as they are. But uh, I'd have to look at the documentation closer to um, uh, to see exactly how so it calls up all six of them. Do you have? Yeah, a- it, it's it's run. It should be just like how the the bits are set up for the the Tandy MPI. Because technically, mm-hmm. with the number of bits that are available, you can address up to 16 slots. Oh, cool. If, if, if you was to do it. That's the reason why it's possible to do it. It's just no one's really <laughs> gone that high yet. Right. Would your Coco go crispy critters? It could. <laughs> so David is the one who actually needs 16 slots. <laughs> right? Oh, you right? don't know how many things I could use. <laughs> I'd buy one. I'd love 16 slots. There you go. And then finally, just one other one other little thing along the multi-pack. Uh, um, I picked this up, was it last year? Maybe even about a year ago now. Um, a company out there called, uh, uh, I guess you could uh, pronounce it Computize. But they made uh, a, a oh, Y yeah, box. I got, I got y one. box. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Kind of, kind of a nice package. And then I, I have a, an, I think this would be the older version of it because there's no, the label's missing off of it. But if you take the cover off, it's it's labeled in there, uh, made by the same company. Um, yeah. And this one here, it's a, it's a little bit cruder looking. It's not as clean, um, and uh, with the connectors that are on it, but uh, the the same concept. So, yeah, a couple of things I've added to my collection here. So, yeah, I know several people that did repacks into um, one Zenith and one XT machine that use those uh, those uh, Y cables. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I have one in mine in my repack. I have. Now, is this is this better than just the uh, just the regular Y cable that you know they made one that had just a, a connector on it that you'd plug right into the Cocoa and gave you just these two. Or is this essentially doing the same thing? It's essentially just, doing the same thing. It just has a nice box. It's yeah, and, and all. Right. probably not. But the the cable that my friends used at the time, they were the three slot Y cables. Oh, okay. And okay. the 
Uh, they ran the RS-232 pack, so they also had to remove the ROMs from that and their Canton controllers. Mm-hmm. So the only device that had a ROM in it was the floppy controller. So, okay. But then again, you know, that's like, what, I wonder, early 90s? I wonder, <laughs> is there any, uh, do you know if there's any electronics in the cartridge case of that computized oh. one? I don't um, know. It might be buffered. I'm just wondering just if there's buffering. They're just wise. Okay. Yeah. It's just the, so the box plugs in well, kind of like that. Yeah. MPI yeah. I've got has the box for no good reason. Yeah. Right yeah. I'd have to, I thought I'd have to bust through the label, which I'm a little. Uh, ah, no, that's all right. No, <laughs> no. Well, I'd have to pop a couple of antacid pills before I did that, I suppose. Well, you could take a flashlight and look in through the end if you wanted. Uh, that's true. The second one has the look of I had all these boards made. I gotta sell them. I'm just gonna have to scrape <laughs> <laughs> up all the <laughs> right, right. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's been a while. So I thought I'd share a few different things with the group. So that's all I got cool. for you guys today. All right, nice. I need one now. <laughs> oh, anybody else? I've got something that came up in the show. We were talking about um, routing electronics and keycad and all that kind of stuff. And here is the old way. Let's see if I can turn this around. So you made a you made a cannon for the cocoa. Well, it's no, a this is you can you could get your local electronics corporation to give you this vellum, crafting vellum, a tenth of an inch. So it's the perfect size for electronics, and it's plastic. So you draw your circuit in pencil on this repeatedly until you get it right, and then you ink over it, and then you go give it to the guy at the electronics place, and he makes your boards for you. And it costs a ton of money, and you've gone through 15 drafting pencils and a bunch of indie ink besides. So that was fun. Oh. And then oh, also... You can, blow, you can it, blow in the end and use it as a, as a didgeridoo. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I thought I was saving for my future by buying 20,000 feet of stuff. So so I've cornered the market in drafting vellum. If anyone ever needs any, let me know how many acres you want. I'll send you some. <laughs> and then I was finally shamed after looking at the game on challenge to installing uh, VCC so I can actually do my games now and not take pictures of a CM8 when I occasionally have the time. And that's... Uh, that was my cocoa of the week. Oh, I took it away. See? Look. Well, now that you have VCC, we expect to see you on the um, live show on Fridays. Any uh, news on your Orchestra 180? Actually, I worked on that. I got all of the pieces put in it. And uh, I, plugged well, almost. It, I plugged it in and... One channel works great, one channel works decent, and two channels I don't hear maybe out of current, but I also out of time. So I didn't get to plug it in a multi-pack, which will decide that really quickly because it will suck what, a little What's current the empty socket? Oh, that's for a ROM if I wanted to like play with a fork. But you don't have to or, have it. Or do a wavetable thing. No, this is just a prototype. It has a Parts and places for all kinds of crap that isn't required. 
It's well, mainly a big, chunky design. I can bodge wire and hand solder. So whatever mistakes I made, and there will be some, I can fix, and then I'll crank out the final one with all the fixes. Well, there's no smoke, so you're doing well. So far, yeah. In fact, that's why it hasn't been plugged into a multi-pack yet, because I don't want to risk my limited number of multi-packs with this stupid thing until I'm sure it at least works partially. <laughs> cool. That's kind of funny because the tones that this basic can make poking to it is more of a low buzz. Hmm. I think okay, all four channels, all four channels is five milliseconds per channel. So 20 milliseconds to come back around again. So you wouldn't get much of a buzz, you know, <laughs> but yeah, you could try, it. um, uh, there's various music programs, including well, yeah, Sock no, Masters. Mean, um, yeah, Sock Masters mod player should work in stereo. I just in need stereo, to hear yeah. all four channels going so yeah, I know this yeah. works, and then I can make a works. decent And I'll send you a decent one you can play with. And Cool. And there. Because, you know, it doesn't have to be musical to prove it works. It just has to. No, be, no. You know. <laughs> nice just got to make sure you got four channels, yeah. So, you know, we're getting there. It's uh you need to put some uh, lights on there. So, you know, when the music's going through, you're getting a light show. Uh, anybody else? Uh, I could quickly show uh, my game because last week I didn't have it running in VCC, so I can probably show a clearer picture than what I had last year, last week. Okay. Yes, so I, I will. I will attempt to share the screen. And share the – actually, I won't share the sound because it's a bit loud. So I'll just do the, the video. Okay. Now, is that coming up? Yep. Yep. All right. So um, last week I was saying how I've uh, added uh, background patterns or colors just to – detail the backgrounds a bit better before it was originally just a black background and i just put all the objects on that uh whereas i didn't like that i wanted to have uh especially in the third level where you're jumping across a river i wanted the river to be blue not black so this is just showing the final graphics so uh, i won't play it because i'm still patching it the frog the the kangaroo doesn't work yet so there's that one there where you're jumping across um, uh, the freeway. So you can see all the road lanes there and the trucks and stuff moving on it. Um, the next level, which I've got a little cheat function for, I'll just jump over to it. This is the um, stockyard. So what we got is cows and sheep walking uh, walking uh, down their, uh, uh, well, their field, I guess, and the in the middle part is a, a moving fence, which you've got to negotiate to get across to the other side. And uh, the third level is the river scene. So I've been able to get a bit of a blue background going on that. And uh, it looks a bit more like a river than what it did before. And, of course, with, as, as you progress in the game, the There'll be a uh, different number of objects. The, the objects will change. The speed will change. So it's getting there. Anyway. It looks, like, uh, 
looks like multi-pack uh, slots going by. <laughs> it does a bit, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see if I can it's stop. It's very this. colorful, which is yeah, good well, because it's definitely recognizable. That's the idea. I was getting to the point where I, I really need more color. I mean, I had eight colors in this mode, but I didn't have because of the color limitations that you have in dealing with semi-graphics, it wouldn't allow me to put two colors per byte, and that restricted the graphics a bit. So I had it black, which which worked. It looked all right, but I just thought it looked a bit bland. So I thought there's got to be a way I could put color in the background without being uh, seeing that clash of, of the color limitations of semi-graphics mode. And this is what I come up with, and it looks all right. So sure, yeah, I'll leave it at that, and just now finish try finish the game. So this is all gonna right. this is gonna pay for the garage for your. <laughs> yeah, I need a garage for the Ferraris for a mm -hmm. bigger box. <laughs> all right, Ken, you ready? Uh sure. Okay. Let's, uh, do we want a break or do we want to go into the news or the high score? Uh, whatever we want to do. Sorry, I was just... Welcome everybody to the Coco Talk Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Galactic Attack. There were a total of 14 players. We had Mark B with 4,230. Nine Finger Tom, 5,100. <laughs> Mr. Dave, 6309, so well. 7,460. <laughs> David Craker, 8,590. Canadian Retro Things, 9,400. Ed Rhodes, 9,570. Chris B., 9,910. Shenley, 9,980. Sabhead, 10,780. Rich N., 11,720. Buck Owens, 12,000. Jim Rye, 15,080. Paul Shoemaker, 15,840. And the number one score this week is... Brian Walsh with 19,990. Oh, so close to 20,000. Thanks, everybody that played, and we will see you next week. Nice. All right, there yeah. we go. So, Galactic Attack. That was one I had not played before. Um, I do, however, have a few copies of the cartridge. I don't know if... Uh, there we go. It's hard to get the hang of the game at the end. <laughs> Show the end. Oh, I'm backwards. Anyway. Not here, you're not. Oh. Time I played it testing my VCC, yep. I outscored everything I ever did with a joystick on a Coco. So, see, is that in focus? Yep. Yeah. Got it.
So I actually have about, uh, I was going through my cartridge collection. I think I have three copies of this. So, huh. um, yeah, so this was a game actually released by Radio Shack back in 1982. So, and um, during the Galaga craze, I guess, of the time. So, uh, and it plays on a three. Okay. Yeah. I played it on the live stream last night. I was playing on my Coco three. And uh, yeah, with no problems. Um, and it is one that only requires 4K of RAM for, for if you have the cartridge to play. So, do you have the instructions that come with it? I do not. I was looking for that. It's one of the ones that I'm missing the instruction book for. Okay. But somebody did post in Discord part of the instructions about uh, the night scene that you can get if you finish a wave without um, anybody getting by you and going through the bottom of the screen, you go into a night wave, which is worth more money or more points. So I'm not sure where they got that from. I didn't actually even look in the archive to see if there is a um, instruction book or not, but uh, yeah. So like Galaga, um, you have ships coming down at you, but they are a little bit more maneuverable than Galaga or Galaxian ships. Uh, they can go back up and kind of avoid your shots a little bit better than and change direction. So, um, does anybody else have uh, any memories of playing this game? Or nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Jim Rye was saying that this is one that he actually had when he was a kid. So, uh, For tips and tricks, obviously, to score more points in this game, you've got to try and finish a wave off without letting them, any of them get by you, and then you get that night wave where the ships are worth a lot more. So, um, Yeah, anybody else that played it have any tips or tricks? Come on, people. Some people must have played it. Mark B, I'm looking at you. I tried uh, to... What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tips and um, tricks for playing the game. Well, like Brian was saying, and I, I did find a little better staying in the middle. Yeah. Um, so the self-centering joystick helped a little bit there. Yeah, I know but, people are uh, finding it a little bit weird to play because it's kind of a uh, five-position screen. You've got the middle, left, far left, right, and far right, rather than actually moving across the screen um, smoothly. You'll move to just five different positions. So it doesn't play well with the Black Beauty? Um, I think it's more designed for the Black Beauty because if you have the... Um, if you have a self-centering joystick, it always moves you back to the center of the screen whenever you let go of the joystick. So where with the Black Beauty, you can leave the joystick. Well, if you put it on free floating, I actually found on free floating, it's a little bit easier to play. Now, watching the uh, uh, live show, mm -hmm. I noticed that, that most of the game, of course, plays on a, a green background. Yeah. But every now and then I saw a black background. Well, that's the well, night what mode. Was that? That's yeah. the night mode. That's the night mode. So if you get if you finish the screen off without any of the ships flying through the bottom of the screen getting by you, then uh, you go into the night mode, which is worth a lot more points. Right. 
and you can if you can finish a night mode off without anybody getting by you, you go into another one, and that's how you get good scores. I didn't do that right. very often. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that uh, I had a quick look uh, through YouTube and uh, saw a, a black background. I thought, oh, black background, but it had a green border. So I assume yeah. that's a VCC thing. That's a, a limitation in that early version of VCC. Um, so you normally can't do that. You can't get a green border and uh, a black, or can you? I'm not sure, actually. I can't remember. I think I had a black. I had on my Coco 3, I think I had a black border. I'm not sure. Um, how about I uh, bring up the bring up the video you might video see there, of yeah. yesterday. Uh, share, play, screen. There we go. Um, see if I can find a spot where. Oh, there's the Tim Hortons truck that. Uh, <laughs> the most Canadian truck that uh, Mark could find. A donut dilemma truck with the donuts on the yeah. wheels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, so here's yeah. Okay, so yeah. Now on look the emulator at that. there. Yeah. Cause that the, you normally can't get that because he's got artifacting, which indicates a, a black and white mode, but you've got mm -hmm. green borders. So what I wonder what version of VCC is because the early older versions had a trouble in emulating the border correctly. Well, that and should here, be white. And here I am on my Coco three, and I'm getting the same thing. But you're not getting artifacting in the middle, are you? I no. think you know, I you only get green. Okay, or do you? No, it's just that, um, my resolution wasn't very good tiring. here, right. but it was. I was running 2.1D. What are they up to now? 2. Point something. As far as I know, that is the latest. Hang on. I'll have a look. If not, if not, I'm behind. I haven't been keeping up with VCC. I think there's a 2.1.05, I think. 2.06. So you might have a version that has color problems. Or it well, doesn't emulate the oh, borders right. You know what? I'm not uh, playing at this moment. No, that's uh, Jim Rye. This was the anyway, time I my just, internet was down. Coco VGA can do it. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, I was looking at it thinking, what, what video mode is that? Anyway. So here I have my... Uh, Switched over to uh, RGB just to make the screen a little bit clearer. So let's see. I think I should be. Yeah, see that mode there doesn't didn't look right. So oh, give me an ad modified. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. Anyway, whatever. There, so whoop. anyway, we uh, it was a fairly quiet yeah, see night that on one. the yeah, it was a fairly quiet had, night on the um, 
live stream. So yeah, I mean, I'm getting color on there. It's dark because I have it in um, RGB mode, but I got a green back yeah. border on mine too, which is, and that's real Coco 3 there. On the left, you mean? Yeah, the smaller screen. But you weren't getting red, red and blues. I'd have to look at it again. I think I was just yeah, getting blue. No. Yeah, I think I was just getting blue yeah. on on that. Anyway. Anyway, um, yeah, so it was a game where uh, each individual game lasted a very short amount of time. If this was an arcade game, it would have definitely eaten up your quarters. Um, but uh, yeah, we only had, uh, I think, three of us playing on the live stream last night, but... Interestingly, the aliens always move in the same direction, I notice, either left or right, all they, of them. Yeah, they always move di- a little bit diagonal. But, like you uh, won't they, get one flying, you won't get an alien flying left and another one flying right. Well, they do. Um, sometimes they do. The, they'll switch direction uh, and go up. One. Yeah, they'll switch the direction and uh, rather than going in a downward diagonal, if they go in an upward diagonal, they'll go opposite. Right. I think he means that all of them go... Uh, all of them on the yeah. screen at the same time are going the same direction, left yeah. or right. Yeah, that's what I thought. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Those they, right they, they they all either go down to the left or down to the right. But every now and then, one of them will go in the opposite, up to the left opposite. or up to the like, right. But they do always. Yeah, they they tend to they all go follow the same. that pattern. Yeah, yeah. In that, formation. They don't scatter. They don't scatter. Nope. They're basically always in the same sort of a grouping. They fly in formations. Yeah. But for an early Coco game and one that only takes 4K, it was a pretty good game. Yeah. Very uh, challenging. Of, well, it was uh, a ROM pack, so it would have had... Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could run it on a... The with the... With the ROM pack, you could run the run it on a 4K machine, though. So yeah, 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 that's right. But uh, yeah, definitely. Um, looking at the uh, score, it was quite. Uh, I think on the author's uh, part, there it was uh, quite wishful thinking that somebody would ever get over a hundred thousand on it. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see if anybody could actually make a million and wrap it. Because by the time you reach about 15,000, those things are going so fast, it's almost impossible. So we didn't have to speed this one up to make it hard. No. <laughs> Anyways, does anybody else have anything to say about uh, the game that... I tried to play this, but I have a bad left elbow, so I couldn't keep pushing the fire button. Yes, that was something that I complained about, too, is that it should have had an auto-fire, because after about half an hour, boy, your finger gets tired of hitting that trigger. And it was only a one-shot hand, too. Yeah. But it definitely would have been helpful if you could hold the uh, fire button down and not have to Constantly press. 
But other than that, like I said, a uh, pretty good early game for the color computer. I think uh didn't see what a lot year of complaining. Was it? 1982. Was it yeah. 82, yeah. And it was one of the actual Radio Shack Candy releases. Yep. And the author was a person by the name of Lou Hayen. <laughs> Lou Hayen from Image Producers. Ah, yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, Galactic Attack. So, I guess it's time to see what is up for next week. Yay! Because it's coming up on a month before Halloween, it's time to start maybe some Halloween-style games. Nightmare. So, Oh, Anybody okay. know this one? Poltergeist. <laughs> that is correct. Um, so, Poltergeist is the game that we will be playing next for this next week. It was a uh, request. I believe, I'm not sure if somebody requested it to Sloopy or what, but Sloopy passed it on to me. So, that is that. And um, just also announced that next week, um, early announcement for the game for next week, which is Robot Nightmare. So right. in one week, so you have one more week to get this from uh, Ken Reichard's um, site. I don't know, I'll Mark, if you, if you want to post the link for that. And also... Talking to uh, Mr. Dave6309, we're going to have a special giveaway, um, which will be announced next week for a random participant of the game next in the for Robot Nightmare. So, okay, something to for everybody to get excited about. All right, and that giveaway will happen after we play Robot Nightmare. And anybody that participated in playing that game will be eligible to win the giveaway. And that's all I'm going to tell you. Is it under $100? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, with or without tax? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's it'll be a, a unique one of a kind giveaway. So, and that will be announced next week on what it's going to be. So everybody has to participate. We have to get uh, Ken Riker a new Ferrari. <laughs> okay. All right. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Well, that All about right. wraps it up. That was everything I had on my list. Yep. There's still another three visit. hours to go. Don't forget to visit <laughs> Ron's Garage when you get a chance. That's about got it. Any, Ron's Garage. Got, any more, got anything um, to show us, Ron? No. No, that just go me. there and check it out. I have a whole bunch of pictures of floppy disks to post on your floppy Oh, cool. Site. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> 
I got a David's at VCF. Gone. I got a whole bunch of floppy disks. Uh, <laughs> save it for when David's back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let me go ahead and run the outro then. All right, you guys. Coming this October to the Coco Talk Game On Challenge. One, two robots coming for you. Three, four, they enter through the door. Five, six, hear their ominous clicks. Seven, eight, it's a terrible fate. Nine, ten, here's a nightmare again. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Cocoa community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! Well, Jason, we missed you. Yeah, he wasn't here. Wherever he may roam. Yep, we had a little bit of Stevie. But Sloopy's here. Yep. Mm -hmm. Anything to say, Sloopy? No. 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 (laughs) And a few words. No. Okay, well, all right. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. everybody. Be back next next week. week.